Before we get started, my producer Steph is here. Hey, Steph. Hey, Josh. Now, I know that you, like me, are a lover of movies and television, but sometimes the thing that we really want to watch for some reason isn't available on our streaming services here in Australia. And we often don't really know what we're missing out on, which is where NordVPN comes in. NordVPN can whisk you away to any country and get you instant access to all the shows and movies that they have on their streaming services. So if you're a fan of UK comedy, you can log in in England. Maybe you like Japanese cinema, head to Tokyo, log in there. It's all really easy with NordVPN. I've been using it for the last month and it really just feels like I've got a bunch of brand new streaming services. The other amazing thing that NordVPN does is a virtual location function, which allows me to get the best deals that are available only in other countries. I can book flights, I can book hotels, or even subscribe to streaming services using a virtual location that ensures that I'm literally getting the best deal available anywhere in the world. And NordVPN does all of this with maximum privacy protections. NordVPN keeps your information encrypted so you never have to worry about your IP or location getting out. And so privacy is now just something that I do not have to think about anymore, which is amazing. Listeners, we want you to give this a try. So we've partnered with NordVPN to give you an exclusive deal. Head to nordvpn.com slash conversations to get a huge discount off your NordVPN plan, plus four additional months for free. It's all completely risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you don't like it, just tell them and they'll refund your money. It's really as simple as that. If you want better streaming services for cheaper, if you want better deals, and if you value your privacy, NordVPN is for you. So get our exclusive offer by going to nordvpn.com slash conversations. That's nordvpn.com slash conversations. Check it out. G'day, humans. Welcome to the safe space for dangerous ideas. I'm Josh Sepps, and this is a cracker of a crossover episode. I love these guys. I love these guys. I'm currently in New York City, New York, New York. The town's so nice, they named it twice. My former home uh, and uh, spiritual hometown, shall we say. And uh, one of my favorite podcasts is recorded uh, right here in Manhattan. It's called The Fifth Column. You may be familiar with it. Uh, Matt Welch, Michael Moynihan, and Camille Foster sit down and uh, they uh, they talk shit about uh, anything and everything. And they're very smart guys and they're very contrarian and they're very heterodox and they're very controversial and they're very provocative. They don't think inside uh, easy uh, little boxes, neat boxes that you can plop them in. And if you know me, you know that that's just the cut of my jib. I'm not going to say anything else about this episode. It's a crossover episode, so we're releasing it here. They're releasing it there. I'm, I guess, technically a guest on their podcast since I'm with them in their space and they're not in Australia. Nonetheless, I'm sure that you will love it. If you don't know them, go and find them. And if you're new to the podcast because you heard me there, then, uh, well, uh, you've already heard this. So skip along to the next episode. Uh, Please enjoy the fabulous guys from The Fifth Column. so thrilled to be here today uh, and by here i actually mean on the west coast in, in san francisco because apparently new york is a swamp again it's filled with water disgusting and gross and there's like still better than your city and canoes <laughs> it's terrible you know Matt the Welch thing uh, camille is when we get Michael the water Moynihan out of the companies they stay in business <laughs> 
Um, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> there, they're just taking the insurance money and moving to San Jose. So, <laughs> and now when people listen to my podcast, presumably they're Uh-oh. just going to go, uh, why is Camille talking? And now your listeners are going to be going, who is this crazy Australian who's yeah. just interjecting? Yeah, yeah, sure. So should we establish that I, well, that I also exist we, and that we if, I, would to, do it, if yes. I were introducing this podcast, I would say, g'day humans, welcome to the safe space for Dave. <laughs> they really right. say yes. g'day. That's what I would say. I didn't That's think they did that. But then Camille was just, he was going off about how terrible New York is, how it's a swamp. <laughs> Yeah, and then I had He's to intervene. Bitter. He I has said, the bitterness of a reformed yeah. New Yorker. I, I, I got to tell you, Camille, I spent all day walking around the fine streets of Manhattan. Yeah. Uh, nearly, a, nearly a raindrop hit yes. me, although there was a stray <laughs> sea lion. Did you hear about that? Yes. Yeah. Sea lion. That's true. I'm, kidding. I'm not kidding. The, at the what? zoo, the water yes. inflated, like the water spilled over the sea lion enclosure, and yes. the sea lion went flopping out. into yes. No way. In my yes. brain. The streets of New York City, yes. but probably in reality, other parts. <laughs> no, no, he was found uh, was the smoking the... fentanyl in the 59th Street station. Speaking it was of, like, man, very quickly they have drugs. Speaking of smoking drugs, yeah. last time I was in this great city of New York City, uh, I was. It was. Uh, the, it was peak Omicron, so there wasn't a lot yeah. of people uh, hanging out in the streets. Yeah. Uh, last time I was here, it was not yet mandatory to smoke the ganja yes. outside. <laughs> So you are now. It's of, like yeah. everyone has to smoke ganja. Every single street here is full of of weed smoke. Correct. Now. Yeah. With impunity. Correct. Out on the street. I asked. Here's something that's actually real, and I won't say the guy's name because I I don't want to give him up. But you guys all know him. He's a well known kind of libertarian, but you know an academic. Woody Allen. Um, uh, <laughs> actually, it was Sunni Previn, but that's okay. Hunter um, Biden. <laughs> <Hunter> Biden. <laughs> loves guns and crack. And I said, does everything that's happened since kind of legalization in various states, has it shifted your baggage a little bit on your legalization stuff? And he said, absolutely. Yes. I, was, I was really surprised, and I'll tell you who it is later. I, 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 you know, I'm not. Hey, when you drop little uh, little look, hints look, like look, that, look, 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 look. like, like you're didn't... excluding all of you. You can exclude your audience, Michael yes, Moynihan, yeah. not my audience. <laughs> yeah. Who was it? I name, know. name. I know. The... Have you no decency, <laughs> yeah. sir? Senator Welsh. At long last, have you no decency? Because I definitely know that there's going to be some guy. I can't believe who's that. Who's it going to be? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Probably somebody from the Mercatus Center. <laughs> Some shit. I don't know. Is that the real accent? Uh, I do love a Moynihan Australian yeah, accent. I, I, I have say. never put much effort into it. But it trying. does make me rethink the legalization yeah, 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 yeah. thing a little bit as well. Because like, it is so prevalent in New York that if you are a, a, an old Jewish grandmother on the Upper East Side walking your dog at 7 a.m. Or an on old a Sunday, Jewish Australian. You <laughs> have to have a doobie in your hand. That's It's that widespread. There is yeah. no escaping it. And yes. I, I wouldn't, I don't, think that's a healthy you know matt do you think it's healthy i don't mind the smell since it usually masks the urine yeah although sometimes i was just in la for a, a week <laughs> and boy it was blended it was weed urine weed urine and that's yeah. actually does not go well together mm. um what i mind is uh public intoxication so right. smoke pot i mean we're in dime square here in the chinatown studio and it's great you walk around and it, it smells pretty great and people are out and they're having fun and they're doing cool stuff. What's not cool is when people are sort of passed out in their own drool on the But you all, are you allowed to drink on the street yet no. in New York City? No. See, no. that's crazy to me. And, and oftentimes Why can't you, I have a six-pack in a park? You're also not allowed to smoke cigarettes basically anywhere. Anywhere. Um, right. okay. So it's difficult to still, uh, right, Moynihan, get vapes, just normal vapes yes. in most places. Well, but actually, there's, there's pot everywhere. Th- th- that's interesting because it was really, really hard for a very long time. And there was one um, <laughs> bodega close to here. 
and they have they had to give you a card, like their business card. And when you'd come back and ask for something, they'd look at you, and then you'd be like, I have your business card, and they'd give it to you, right? Mm. Now, since they decided that they weren't going to wait for the regulatory regime to kick in for the weed stores, they just started opening them everywhere. It's, like, it's incredible. None of these are licensed. And so now the vapes are out everywhere. And I saw in Brooklyn the other day by my daughter's gym a, a bodega that had a huge sign with the price of all the like flavored vapes outside. Oh, so that's... it's kind of funny that once the weed thing happened, now everything else you're like, well, well then bring it. on the booze. I don't understand. I, I mean, I for people who don't know, I spent most of my professional uh, life, my adult life in New York City, and I've only been back in Australia for another for about five years. And when I first moved to New York, I remember being downstairs from my apartment building, holding a large glass of soda water wasn't soda water, it was mm -hmm. vodka soda, but there was no way the police could know that, mm -hmm. who walked by me and one of them comes up to me and he's like, what's in the glass? And I was like, soda water. And he's like, let me taste it. What? And it was, and I was like, are you kidding me? I live here. Flirting. I was are you sure it wasn't one of those sexy cops <laughs> <laughs> on the way to like a strip event? <laughs> yeah, then he started licking my butt. I don't know what was going on. Oh, and do the police here wear arseless chaps all the time or was it just Correct. that one? Correct. But then his, so then his colleague said, uh, man, don't worry about it. It's not important. And, uh, you know, he pulled him, pulled, pulled him off me. <laughs> that, doesn't, doesn't, that doesn't amazing. sound very good. He pulled, he pulled yeah. me off. Yeah. Uh, but then, and then, uh, <laughs> and then, so now I fast forward to today and everyone's, everyone's smoking in public well just uh, baby steps new york yeah. baby it's steps. Weird. let me have a beer because 10 years ago 12 years ago we're talking like what six hundred thousand stops a year more i think even where they would uh without any pretext just sort of like say hey do you have a gun they pat you down you didn't have a gun but you had uh like a joint in your pocket and as soon as you turned out your pockets they would keep patting you down if it was this cop well if it's my it, cop if you if you <laughs> if you showed weed it was like weed was not weed was nominally legal or at least it wasn't criminal but showing it was and yeah. so that became yeah, what stop right. and frisk was it was a way to uh, 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 find people for having weed in their hands when they complied with the order of what he got in your pocket. And what, your, if, you, and what if you don't comply with the order? Uh, it's then been, he jerks you off. The cop jerks you yeah, off. That's yeah. the punishment. <laughs> then he that puts his the, hand in your pocket. Official New York punishment. Yeah. Uh, by Turns the way, you out. It is, it is, I, I've pointed this out a million times ago on the subway today, and I've, I'm such a sucker. I'm literally the only one at the Utica stop who pays. Nobody pays. They're all like laughing at me. They're like, look at this fool. I'm like my phone scanning it like a complete oh, laser. No. Like beep going through and everyone else is like going under, like vaulting over. It's like Nadia Comaneci going over these fucking things. Sergey Pupka. <laughs> and then the other thing is I, I realized that people are always expecting something bad to happen and it, it doesn't matter that, you know, I've said this a million times, the stats on the subway because you can't measure just the kind of tension when crazy people are there, which isn't illegal and doesn't, it's not reported. But there, I got on a car and there was, um, walked in, and there was like a crazy person, and there was like orange peels all at their feet. I mean, just eating oranges, uh, like kind of half shaved head, and kind of muttering, but not bothering anyone. And didn't weirdly didn't smell. That was interesting. Huh, did he smell of oranges at least? Uh, yeah, no. It's I was like, this is a very citrus end of the car, and then at the <laughs> other end, everybody was like pressed onto the other end just expecting someone to get up and just start swinging an ax. Mm. Whereas I remember there being crazy people that you just kind of like, all right, you're just there and you'd just be around them. And if they cause problems, you'd walk through the car. 
right? Which then that stopped too in about 10 years, but it's, and that's back to walking through the car. But you get a ticket for that now. But that isn't happening. People just pushed all the way. And then the next stop, everyone who just got on got yeah. off in their car. This person wasn't doing anything. They need to have more anything. courage. They need to have more courage they around their crazy do. people. Yeah, well, I, I was a crazy person on the subway just today. Uh, even though he wasn't a crazy person. He was a singer. He was an elderly gentleman, yeah. and he comes on the car with his uh, change, with a jar of change yeah. that he's shaken in time to the music. He's going, sweet Lord, sweet <laughs> Was this guy from Australia by any chance? Yeah, he was a German gentleman. <laughs> was, this Peter, <laughs> was this Peter Garrett from Midnight Oil? <laughs> and he goes through the whole car, and he gets off at the next stop. And then I have to change trains. So I go across the platform, get on the next carriage. He comes in after me. Oh, yeah, the whole yeah, thing yeah, happens yeah, over yeah, again. Yeah, I'm like, yeah, I heard it the first yeah, time. Yeah. It was good, but not great. I I'm, don't need an encore. I'm more Showtime. offended by the showtime and by the singing than I am by the stinking. Speaking of the orange peel and eating in, pub, eating in public like that, I have an ongoing thing with, with uh, my partner about whether it's acceptable to eat fruits like oranges in, in public. Oh, I, I was on a plane recently in Australia and I'm, mm. uh, I'm sitting there and uh, after we take off the guy sitting next to me, a small Asian gentleman, uh, not that his ethnicity is relevant, leans down into his bag. It is when you're racist. <laughs> is, it, is his size relevant? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and he leans down into his bag and he, and he, he lowers his tray table. He takes out a single hard-boiled egg. Oh, that's a, yeah, that's... Oh, well, no. And then actually, no, no, no. Him I'm, I'm sorry, but his background <laughs> he, is he, necessary. He, right he, he peels Wait. the hard-boiled Leg and was this, slowly... was this an economy? This sounds like the yeah, sort this of thing was that economy. Economy. I'm sorry, Camille. Josh, I'm sorry to offend oh your, your first class sensibilities. <laughs> I, I spent <laughs> eight hours at Denver Airport yesterday uh, because of the floods. LaGuardia had a ground stop on. Oh man, you should have come and see, saw me. I was in Denver. Really? Get out yeah. of town. I've been in Colorado. I was, for the I was past there with week. Coleman actually. And some oh my god, fine people. Uh, yeah. I, that, wow. That's a missed opportunity. I would have come into town. He was, he was there with Coleman. Uh, and Coleman was, was he giving speeches that were never going to be aired or what? His speech was aired. Yeah. Was what, was it, what, what was it, a conference or something? <laughs> Can we talk about that, Camille, a little bit? Um, talk about what? It, it, so Coleman Hughes. Are, are, are we switching We're, we're going to switch gears because okay. I want to talk well, about this quickly. Because gonna, you, yeah, before okay. you do that, oh, wait, wait. There, there's one punchline, which is- oh, uh, There's more. The guy gets oh, to the yeah. end of the end and finishes the egg, yeah. carefully scoops off all of the shell from the tray table. Very generous of him. Puts it in a little uh -huh. plastic bag. Very nice. I'm thinking to myself, at last, this long- National yeah. nightmare is over. And then he took out a live <laughs> chicken. <laughs> he pulls out another egg. Yes. Oh, no. Yeah. Yeah. So what did you do? Did you do anything? <laughs> I did nothing. I sat no. there and stewed and thought, last time I fly coach. Yeah. And then you realized you were sitting lesson. next to Taiwan's egg-eating champion <laughs> from 2011. He's been only a one-hour flight from yeah. Sydney to Melbourne, but he went through 748 <laughs> eggs. Yes. <laughs> the way Camille, you have to realize <laughs> that flying coach Coach in America is bad. Flying coach in Australia is another level of hell. <laughs> it's, it's a hate crime. Uh, so, yeah. Sorry, Coleman. I've done let's it once, about, actually. Let's talk yeah. about Coleman. Yeah, I just want to talk about Coleman. The reason I want to talk about this is just because Camille is going soft. And um, <laughs> yep. on the text chain, on our text chain, he was like, I, I was like, good Lord. I could hear him going, like, I believe the children are the future. You have like, to oh, give some context. Sense. Give some context. I'm going to give the context. Is that Coleman, okay. who's our, our dear friend, yes. gave a TED Talk. Yes. And... The TED Talk was about colorblindness and the fact yes. that colorblindness is um, a good thing and not a racist thing, which is something that people like Ibram X. Kendi say. So he gives this talk, and apparently it was quite successful in the room. They were going to release this talk, and there was an internal revolt by certain people. We've heard this before at Spotify and other places, Netflix, et cetera. An internal revolt uh, that said, you, these are dangerous ideas. They hurt our feelings for some people inside the company. 
and we're going to put a stop to this. And they said, well, how about we release it, but you have to debate somebody <laughs> on a different episode, and which he ended up doing, by the way, which was Jamel Bowie. And he <laughs> kind of navigated it in a good way and said, well, no, I will, you release it, but later I can do this. I don't want to do it at the same time. That feels, that feels uh, inappropriate. So this happens, and um, he writes a piece about it for the Free Press and uh, talks about how the video <laughs> has completely tanked. That like there's, you know, people talking about, you know, throat wobblers and, you know, uh, birding that have more, <laughs> it's probably Christian Cooper, by the way, um, <laughs> that have more views. And he's saying like, you know, they're kind of burying it. They didn't put it out in their newsletter. And it's all to placate these, you know, handful of employees that were upset about this. Um, now, um, Chris Anderson used to be the editor of Wired. I don't that, think it's the same guy. You I, sure? I'm not sure, but I was looking at, into this and I didn't see that those were the same people. Okay. Um, okay. Um, that's good that you pointed that out. That's good because I I, I like uh, I like Wired that Chris Anderson, Anderson too, yeah. but he responded and kind of conceded all the points, didn't he? Yes, he said like the mm. the factual matter of this article is largely correct. Mm -hmm. um, so you could feel the butt just like coming. Um, this isn't the first response. Well, um, well, he yeah, he conceded most of the points. The the vital point that he disagreed with was Coleman uh, made a bit of an argument that they had e that one of two things had happened. Uh, either the video was weirdly underperforming or they had suppressed it in some way, shape or form. Um, well, I think he, he had two mechanisms by which they could have suppressed it. One is that they didn't include it in their, in their wrap up email yeah. that they send true. out, uh, which is true. And mm -hmm. the, the second is that yeah. they're that they're not presenting it that their whatever their algorithm on their website is is not presenting it to people when they hit the homepage. Right, they of haven't the website. talked about it on their yeah. podcast. And it, I yeah. think the thing that was disingenuous about Chris's response was he was saying, "Well, we're as mystified by the low numbers uh, of the video mm -hmm. as as, <laughs> as Coleman is." He was like, "But YouTube's algorithms are as are as opaque to us as they are to sure. anybody." Yeah. Yeah. Here's the thing: on YouTube, it's doing well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On YouTube, it's doing well. It's only not doing well on Chris Anderson's. Website and probably so doing well because say, Coleman promoted it on the free press, you know, by yeah, well, it's doing better, well it's doing better now. now. Yeah. 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 yeah, so Coleman writes about this. Uh, we're recording this on Saturday, I think. Coleman writes about it this past week, Tuesday or Wednesday, at the free press, and it causes uh, what do you what, how do you pronounce that word, Camille? It causes a kerfluffle. Um, <laughs> kerfuffle. Kerfuffle. And, uh, and so there's That's what we call the chamber of parliament in Australia, by the way, <laughs> yeah, you have one now. The high, the high kerfuffle makes the all the highest. And so there's word. an initial response from Chris Anderson and then Coleman comes back. And then yesterday, uh, uh, Chris Anderson comes up with a second one and Camille uh, just stood up like a, like a seal, uh, clapping and making uh, guttural noises in, uh, oh, in yeah. approval. Oh, what was the second one? I didn't see the second one. I was waiting at Denver airport for seven hours. Yeah. Um, it was all about how Camille is great or something. I, couldn't, mm -hmm. I can't figure out why he was cheering it so much, but Camille, def defend Chris Anderson, um, you know, and not your dear friend Coleman Hughes. Go ahead. Well, I don't know. This is, I mean, this is sad. <laughs> oh, here There's, he goes. Th that's a false binary. Yeah. yeah. Look, what, I, what I've said publicly about the situation is we all know how incredibly horrible and hostile the climate has been in recent years. In 2021, in 2022, I'm not even sure it would have been likely to see Coleman on stage at TED giving a talk like this. Uh, the reality is that Chris Anderson, I, I happen to know, and other people have said this as well um, publicly, has been reaching out to people who are um, 
I, I, I'll use the word right of center, or at least not conventionally progressive, um, and have ideas that are probably incompatible with a lot of uh, established popular elite opinions for a while, and has not given up on the aspiration to have Ted be a place where a bunch of interesting ideas could be heard and aired out. Um, and he reached out to Coleman, he cultivated that relationship, he reached out to Coleman and invited him to participate. And as Coleman documents in his email, um, not his email, his post about the ordeal, um, Chris worked pretty hard, it seems, with his team to try to ensure this thing got published. Now, granted, for all of the reasons Coleman highlights, um, the fact that you know there was this group internally who was applying pressure to try to get the thing um, not published, and they wouldn't talk to to Coleman. First, Chris invites him to, and then they refuse to. The strange underperformance of the video on the website, and I, I don't have an opinion on what happened there. I, I haven't really looked at it very closely, but clearly they didn't promote it in the way that they've promoted plenty of other things um, on the platform. And I think most embarrassingly for Ted, um, the decision to actually force Coleman to do this debate so that they could append that to the to the uh, to the primary video. All these things are unacceptable in my estimation and demonstrate a, a kind of profound unfairness. That said, I think Chris has at least acknowledged that some of these things are wrong. And he has acknowledged that explicitly in the most recent post that Ted has more recently had a proclivity to be less likely to include um, certain kinds of perspectives that were likely to bristle the feathers of people on the left um, and has expressed an interest in continuing to do that and suggested that his team um, needs to, well, at least suggested that, that Ted needs to do that. He's also been, I think, pretty defensive. Um, and as you mentioned, Josh, like he took the opportunity in his first response to allude to Coleman being uniquely upset um, about those about the the underperformance of the video, and in that first response, like has only I think publicly defended the fact that people on his staff have said pub, have said in private, according to Coleman and confirmed by Chris, that they felt unsafe. Uh, yeah, because I think of the that's presentation what irritates that people. Like, and it, and it just sentence, doesn't make sense. This is the sentence um, from the second one, Camille, that I just want to read to you. Uh -huh. the second response is he writes. If someone spent their whole life experiencing a playing field that is tilted against them, proactive yeah. policies to untilt that field are a ray of light. A talk arguing to dump those in favor of colorblindness can therefore seem not just wrong, but truly dangerous. You run yeah. Ted. It could and, and seem again, that I, way, you know, and you could I, say, you go run, fuck yourself. Yeah. You run Ted. And again, I think, yeah. I, think that, I think that sort of characterization is wrong. And my post, the post that I put up isn't a defense of Chris. It, I'm happy to see us at a point where Coleman Hughes does get invited to TED. I'm happy to see that the, the talk actually gets published. And I'm happy to see that Chris and company are not ignoring the firestorm, which honestly, like how many times have we seen this kind of thing happen? I mean, it's getting plenty boring, of mainstream publications the and they don't even and they don't even respond to what's going on. They don't make any sort of public comment about it at all. Well, I mean, but I think and, the and public even comment, here, what type I've, of public I've comment I've had conversations with Chris, and I know Chris is talking to plenty of other people, and my hope and expectation, and perhaps I should say aspiration and expectation, is to see there be further conversation about what's going on here. Because I'm not simply endorsing the, it. Is, what I've said the, explicitly is, Chris um, and the team at TED 
really need to take a look at their mission and engage in a kind of public discourse about how they're making determinations about where they draw the lines. And if there are people on their team who can't put the mission of TED, which is to look at ideas that are worth sharing, broadly speaking, without any sort of um, um, ideological uh, bias, if they can't put that mission first in front of their own ide- personal ideological commitments, then they should leave the organization. I mean, I think that's, that's the kind what of I posted. That's not that people want to see, though, that yeah. they're not seeing. I mean, at the well, ris- I'm, I'm at the hopeful risk that of, we'll see more conversation. The risk of tooting is, is our important. own horns, uh, you know, when he says that those idea- ideas like not tilting the playing field back are dangerous. The tagline of my podcast is a safe space for dangerous ideas. This is the whole point of having conversations that, sure. that try to not care about triggering the tripwires of polite society. I mean, and if you've set up an, an, an organization that is committed to doing that, then I think what people want to see from you when something like this happens is not kind of equivocations and self-justifications and HR style responses. They want to see you say, Ideas are not the same as uh, discrimination. Ideas are ideas and, and claims right. are claims. So give me other claims and we will counter the claim, <laughs> Coleman's claims, with better claims. We're not just going to say that we're offended, this is dangerous, uh, you know, we feel like our identities are being erased. Like, give actual reasons. Just don't talk well, about mumbo jumbo. The reason that is given, and this happens quite a bit, um, the reason is given is that Coleman is saying things that aren't true. And the response to that was to cite a study that, you know, kind well, Chris of- didn't. Chris didn't say No, that. this was from Adam Grant. For, yes, from somebody else internally says, you know, there's this study that shows blah, blah, blah. Now, obviously, there's studies that show a lot of things. Um, and this comes, if I'm not mistaken, they, they seek out a study to sort of extra fact check Coleman, which sure. is something that they don't do normally he, to people from what I understand. Precisely. He, as he points out, he had already been fact checked. The thing that bothers me about this is that rather than being honest and saying, we don't want people to hear these ideas because we're fearful that they'll be persuaded by them, they do the thing that happened with the Muhammad cartoons. They're not good cartoons anyway. Do you remember this? It was yep. a constant thing. It was like, they're bad. They're actually really bad cartoons. Mm-hmm. It's like, I don't care what your judgment of the cartoons. That's not the issue. I hate, this is the same thing of like not acknowledging that you're trying to prevent these ideas from polluting the feed of the company that you work for because you think it I should mean, be- I mean, I don't even think that the people who object inside TED believe that these things are ideas. The, one thing that I've been trying to get my head around lately, I've actually just had to take down one of my episodes of Uncomfortable Conversations, a fabulous podcast available on all podcast yeah. platforms. Yes. If you're a listener <laughs> to the fifth column and you don't know who the hell I am, uh, Uncomfortable Conversations. <laughs> one of the fifth column's most com. treasured favorite most, yeah, yeah, This is true. Thank you very much. Yeah. That's very kind true. of you. Way too long. I've just had to take a- <laughs> I talk for way too long or it's been way too long since I came on the show. Uh, away, away yeah. too but, long. Uh, yeah. Away <laughs> too long. <laughs> I just had to take down a, a podcast episode under threat of cancellation. What? By uh, a, a guest. The first time I've ever done that. I couldn't be bothered getting embroiled in it. Was it the one that there was a very uncomfortable conversation? It was, it was a very uncomfortable <laughs> conversation. I listened to this episode. Uh, it was, uh, you know, suffice it to say, uh, long story short, uh, I was arguing with a black lady about the N-word. Now, when I say it like oh, that, I, don't, I didn't listen to that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But Suddenly yeah. Camille wakes up. Yeah. I was, <laughs> I was, yeah. I've been engaged. Yeah. Stop that. Uh, and I've heard Josh say that, now that I word was, many times. I was not, I was not claiming uh, anything other than that 
and this came as a result of not me seeking her out, but the fact that she'd been, uh, she had sent me an, an email uh, saying, fuck you, uh, it's our word, whatever, after I'd, I mean, to be clear, I've never, <laughs> I've never said the word, I've never used the word, I mean, I have. Except I have, when rapping. Yeah, except yeah. when, except yeah. when I'm rapping. <laughs> yeah. And I wasn't making an argument that we should be able to say it. I wasn't even making an argument that it's wrong for societies and cultures to come up with with taboos around our mouth sounds. If I was like living in a, a Navajo civilization or an African civilization or a First Nations Australian civilization where you, you didn't, you know, it was impolite or uh, it was taboo to say the names of some dead ancestor, then I wouldn't go around going like, "Why can't I say it? It makes no sense." Yeah, yeah. Like that's the decision that we've all come to. That's fine. And so I wasn't even saying. Let's not retroactively punish people for a crime that wasn't a crime at the time that you're dredging it up, you psychopathic sure. outrage archaeologist going back through people's tweets <laughs> from 10 years ago. And this is something she does. Yeah, she I don't been. want to make an accusation, a specific yeah. accusation, because yeah. I don't want to get She's fired. She's really put the fear Sound, of God in Sounds you. like a However, all I was trying to get her to concede was that her position, which is that it's fine for uh, black people to use that w word but not for white people to, is a position. That mm -hmm. that is a position. It's not the truth carved in stone, handed down from Yahweh in a mm -hmm. tablet to Moses. Mm -hmm. It's a position that some reasonable people disagree with. And the idea that your truth, your personally felt truth, mm -hmm. is not the last word, that it is a position that is contingent on who you are and what culture you come from and what time you live in. It's and also the wrong word, but can disagree about that. It's not a truth. That. It's a feeling. It's not a truth. Right. I mean, so all, and there's one moment in the, in the podcast, which I wish you could still hear, uh, uncomfortableconversations.substack.com. Don't know why I'm directing you there. It's not even there. You can't hear it. Uh, but there's one moment where I say, will you just concede that this is a debate that's, that intelligent people who are both black and white can disagree about whether or not we should abolish the word altogether and nobody should say it, whether black people should say it, whether it's infantilizing to use the phrase, the N word and so on and so forth. She said, Yes, I understand that it's a debate, but it's not a debate that you can have. And I said, why not? And she said, because you're a white man. Mm. And why did she, she choose to come on the podcast then? Because <laughs> I said to her, I don't want to get into a fight on Twitter about our yeah. disagreements. She was basically trolling me and trying to get black Twitter to, uh, to cancel yeah. me. I was like, come on the podcast. We'll hash it out. We'll actually have a conversation like grownups. I thought it worked. And then some weeks later, she had a change of heart about it. But my point is just that. It doesn't, I don't think the people at TED who feel like their identities are being violated are aware that that is a, a claim or an argument or a belief that is susceptible to uh, rational discourse. For them, it's just a truth. It's so, just but, true. But, but why did you take it down? Yeah. Because it's not worth it. Like, I felt like I'd taken three good swings. Yeah. And at some point, you just say, stick a fork in it, it's done. The tur this turkey is roasted, move on to the next challenge. Do you think that kind well, of I'll tell you this, I'm being, I'm being equiv that, I'm equivocating you know? here. Yeah. The actual reality is she sent me an email, she works for the same organization that I worked for, and she said that she just had a, uh, a meeting with the managing director who, with the Australian Public Broadcaster, which is a properly funded public broadcaster, yep, not yep, like yep. NPR. It's a BBC so, kind of Yeah, thing. so the, the managing director looms in the Australian consciousness, yep. something like the head of General Electric or yep. Disney. People yeah, know who right? that this Everyone knows who that person's name. You know, he appears yep, yep. before the Senate and yep. stuff like that. She just had a meeting with him and he's, and I quote, committed to uh, getting problematic people out of the organization. So there's a threat. To take it down. Basically. Yeah. Okay. Now, 
Wow. It's not a threat that she can actually act on because I know the managing director and he likes me, but of course I can't be certain of what a public... Also, cancel culture works in funny ways. Like, he's not going to fire me because I haven't done anything wrong. Yeah. However, the next time there's a big show that's being cast or it comes time to negotiate contracts... And it's very, and very like future-oriented, yeah. Is it like, mm -hmm. you know, is there just this kind of smell around the place? You know, how many people do you need in the building to think... Oh, you know, Josh, he's but all about his fucking uncomfortable conversations. He causes trouble. He's not a team player. He's, you know, he, he creates a stir. They literally called it uncomfortable conversation. Yeah. I literally named the show that. <laughs> and now I'm complaining about, but the, the, about yeah, that label yeah, yeah. being associated with me. But the, the future-oriented thing is interesting, too, because you took it down because you said, after a long pause, you said, it's not worth it. They're going to say the same thing when it's, there, it comes to hiring you for a new show or having you as a guest judge on a panel or whatever it might be. It's like, you know what? It's not worth it. You know, you know what Josh does. He creates problems and we don't want problems, so it's not worth and it. And there goes my hope of being a prawn on the masked singer. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's a shrimp to, for people. Um, to, to, turn, to turn this back to the conversation about Ted for a moment, or at least to, to sort of talk about that in this context, you know, Josh's situation in that same context. Having seen this over and over again, when I see the responses to Chris, and I know that Chris is, I can tell, it's obvious he's being like pretty defensive in, in certain aspects of this post. But again, openly acknowledging defects, suggesting that he wants to see changes, and, and plainly acknowledge, and when I say defects, plainly acknowledging that yes, within our organization, people are generally, um, it's a bit of a monoculture. And there is a hostility towards right of center ideas. That's something that needs to change. He invited Cameron too, which hope, is to his credit. And I hope this changes and I want there to be a conversation about, but the response that I see in a lot of circles from a lot of prominent people who are in the quote unquote heterodox community or whatever the hell we call it is like these broadsides, these open condemnations, you're a cow, you're terrible, you're awful, you're the worst. All I've said publicly is I'm glad to see him engaging. I'm glad to see him acknowledge that certain things are wrong. I would challenge and critique certain things about what he said. I hope that they continue to have an open discussion about how to ensure that Ted remains a mission focused organization because Sounds we're to all me better like off. Camille wants to give a TED. Ted. Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> they really, we're all better off really if Ted is serving its mission. <laughs> this, My dance card is quite full. This, would, I, would I make it over there if hey, they invited I'll do it. me? Chris, Absolutely. If I made it to would a, I'll do it. Would, would I outrage talk? the staff? Undoubtedly. So I would be very happy to do it. But, 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 this is, but this is the point, right? Like there is an outrage staff there. Some certain people say, "Oh, Ted doesn't matter." Oh, those woke idiots—they're complete monsters and, and lunatics. I have the same feelings about them that I do about like the worst MAGA person. My hope is that I can get through to them, make an argument that they will agree with, and have them abandon their bad ideas in favor of better ideas. And I think adopting that posture does mean acknowledging the good things that Chris has done in response to this challenging him on the places where he's been less than good and continuing to insist we should con we should keep having this conversation and yeah Ted really does need to better do better and this is what that looks like as opposed to just like you know a dismissive oh that that response is bullshit that response yeah, is no, bullshit I take and i don't think I mean, that's turn the, down case. the volume i do think is, he's being earnest is like a mantra that i will always agree with turn down the volume let me down. read a little passage here i see comments from people from chris anderson saying that's their problem just fire them and then he goes on, give me a break. 
To Give John, me a break. To John Stossel. I yeah. love this team. They're smart, creative, curious, and kind. And they work for Ted because they believe in the importance of ideas and in Ted's mission. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. Certain Just ideas. stop huffing your own farts. Ted <laughs> has been an internal fart huffing machine for mm. how long now? 15 years? Oh, look, we're going to do ideas differently because it's going to be like on a stage and it's going to be fast and they're going to point to stuff and there's going to be a graph and it's going to be great. People And we are just like objectively about the idea, man. And it's like technology plus ideas and, and it's so nonpartisan and idea-y. This whole episode exposed that as being bullshit. Um, it's an aspiration. That's nice. Um, that, you know, and, and he's pointing to and nodding at that aspiration. And he is also saying, give me a break when people point when, out that his reaction and this whole reaction of treating Coleman. Yes, he invited him. But yes, he also treated him like these tongs, this radioactive thing came in, into our turf. We must do something because we love ideas so much. Well, he brought so, the radioactive thing. He in, did. Though, he did. I think we I think we have to acknowledge that. We and did. Has said we, we publicly have, repeatedly. As Coleman I just is good. did. I'm a fan. I like his podcast. That's great. And I listen to it. That's great. But, but he's trying to straddle, Camille. Mm-hmm. He's trying to straddle. Of and, course. And I'm not I think I'm not impressed with. Yeah, why can't he just I sit down, you. sit I'm, everybody down and say he doesn't have to fire them. Why doesn't he just sit down and say, shut that's, up, ideas that's are exactly just ideas. Right. We're about ideas. So, so this like, is, this is like, actually, you can't, just, no but you can't just shut up, but you can't just sit down and do that. I think there really is a lot of heavy lifting involved when you are trying to, to turn Well, yeah, you have to take them back to and John you, Locke and like yeah. John Stuart Mill. Like there's a lot of learning to do for these yes. people, clearly, but so, you have to sit them down and give for them- For an give organization them, that's supposed to yeah, be, that, give them that book, should have been the starting line. or something and say, okay, here is why we have conversations about things instead of, instead of shutting people up. Here is the virtue in here things that you disagree with it, and here is the virtue in even yeah. hearing ideas that are hateful and wrong absolutely sure. yes this is what essentially happened uh at the aclu the taker absolutely the ACLU, is that they just allowed yes. this to happen and i think there were so many people there that were of the old uh school like wendy kaminer school of of aclu who were like you know let's just not make too much trouble and what you see in the that those messages from chris anderson is him trying to thread the needle and saying, I love Coleman. We want crazy, dangerous ideas. We, I love his podcast. These people are great. They're the backbone of the organization. They were hurt by these ideas. It's like, look, when you're talking about speech and you're talking about ideas, you mm-hmm. cannot play it down the middle. You have to choose a side here because when you do this, you're inviting the, you know, the collapse of the organization, basically. And what mm-hmm. ends up happening is one faction always takes over. It never, it never goes on smoothly forever with a, a outrage faction who goes and tries to shut down people or say, we can't actually broadcast these ideas because they're too dangerous or they hurt my feelings or the, the ideas themselves are violence. And if you believe that, you shouldn't be in an organization like this at all. You should be doing something else. You should be in academia. That's where most people like that actually end up. But tell me an organization, there isn't one that has actually managed to keep all of these factions happy. When you get in there, you have to say, this is the law. We like you guys. We think you're smart people. I'm not going to fire you. But if you keep making problems like this, maybe this isn't the best organization for you. Let's look at what Joseph Kahn- has done a pretty good job with this. Look at what Joseph Kahn has done at the New York Times. New York Times, uh, you know, outside pressure groups and other people with like half a toe in the door Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. came at him pretty strong and he fired back. I mean, he has made a big public showing of it. He hasn't had a lot of public agonizing. Oh, we love these people, but we also love these people. He just said, sounds like if you agree with this, that you want us to be an activist organization and not Mm -hmm. a news report. We are a news report. You choose. Um, And his actions, much more than his kind of public facing words 
are what count here. And the New York Times has acted a lot differently under his leadership. They have indeed. Certainly yeah. than under the Chris Anderson-alike Dean Baquet before them, who wanted to be the most popular guy in the newsroom, but also a little old school, a little new school. I have the least amount of respect for that position. I, I think that you choose one. Be a total coward. Um, you, be, yeah, you be can't be Steve Buscemi <laughs> holding the skateboard. You cannot. Yeah. yeah. yeah you, no, one, I, no one's like, hey, kids just out of college, we'll do it your way a little bit, and then we'll do it the old school way a little bit. It's like, no, no. Ask one Marty. Only. Ask Marty Baron how that worked out. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I'll say I'll say one last quick thing about this, um, unless someone else has something else to say about it, of course. Um, but I can distinctly remember going to TED um, in San Francisco, and I accompanied Carl Hart there uh, to sure. he was giving a talk about drug legalization and, and not even drug, yeah, drug legalization. And um, Carl said at some point in that talk. Um, you know, I'm not talking about decriminalization. I'm not just talking about legalizing weed. I'm talking about the legalization of all drugs. And Carl got a standing O at the end of his talk. And there was never, um, so far as I could see, any public consternation or that I heard from Carl, any private consternation expressed by the people at TED, nor was there any call for there to be any kind of uh, secondary follow-up debate that could get appended to his presentation. They just published the talk. And it's, I mean, that's an edgy perspective, um, especially today, I suppose. Um, and I think that was the appropriate, that's the appropriate kind of approach. That said, like there's going to be moderation and having having the folks at TED acknowledge the fact that they're going to be agonizing over certain kinds of things and where to draw lines and the sort of people that they will and won't have on the stage, because they're going to. I, I don't imagine that they're going to have people talking about how pedophilia, not so bad. Like we should probably give 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 peace a chance where that kind of thing is concerned. And but I don't the think thing, it's not the libertarian part. There's just that. one. <laughs> I think that, let me just try to draw an analogy here. There is... I think what irritates people about blow-ups like this is not that someone is making a decision about what ideas to include and what ideas to exclude. Everybody understands that that line has to be drawn somewhere. It's the conflation of an argument with violence or like sure. someone's yeah, identity yeah. being erased. It almost reminds me of the use versus mention distinction that we talk about with the N-word, which is something that I was trying to explain <laughs> in the conversation that no longer exists. Or, you know, to, to take the Dean Baquet New York Times argument, the the, the Senator Cotton uh, op-ed about how we needed to put an end to the riots in the summer of 2020, and then the New York Times staffers saying this makes us unsafe. Like, mm -hmm. that's that was a senator making an argument your safety is a completely different category. Mm -hmm. You know, if you, if you yeah. want to respond to the argument, then use an argument to respond. Don't fire somebody. If you want to respond to Coleman's argument about colorblindness, use an argument. Don't mm -hmm. deprioritize his thing and then scramble around and then try to try to prevent people from looking at it and then try to put out fires. If While you perpetuating about, that idea that, that speech can be violence and cause injury. Yeah, I just right. think we have to like, we, we have to reassert there's something, something that has gone horribly muddy in the way that we think about thinking. Like I was interviewing Peter Singer on my podcast. Great podcast. Uncomfortable conversations. You yeah. can get it wherever you Is get on good podcasts. Uh, <laughs> Matt, you don't have to ask because I'm going to cut this in. Like, <laughs> uh, so I was interviewing Peter Singer. We were doing a live, you know, the great ethicist. We were doing a live tour uh, of Australia. And uh, he has recently faced more and more backlash. He faced a lot of backlash in the 1970s, uh, mostly from the religious right. 
In now the 90s faces, too, yeah. Now he's got a resurgence yeah. of backlash from the woke left. And um, I was saying, like, isn't it right that people should draw a line in the sand somewhere and say your ideas are beyond the pale from my, from my ethical perspective and therefore I want to respond to you? And he was like, respond with reasons. Respond with arguments. Yeah, Don't yeah. respond by categorical me or shouting at me or saying yeah. that you're offended or saying that you're insulted no, or saying you're hurt or saying that you're being erased or saying that your existence is being called into dispute. Argue mm-hmm. with me. This is a, a massive generational issue. Because if you you talk about uh, Singer, I mean, Singer, if you read the conservative press in the 1990s, it was always, you know, the ethics of killing babies and stepping on ants and things. And they, they hated him so much, absolutely loathed him. But if you look at the people that make the argument that, that you just said that uh, Peter was making on tour with you, this increasingly comes from people on all sides of the political spectrum. I mean, you can hear... You know, Ian McEwen and uh, the late, great Martin Amos making this this argument or, you know, Christopher Hitchens all in that same kind of uh, Salman Rushdie and that kind of group of people. They're all people of the left, right? Very much of the left. And all the people that are old school ACLU people make this argument. They're, you know, primarily people of the left. If you saw them in the 1970s, they would be kind of socialists arguing for the Klan to be able to rally in downtown Manhattan with hoods on. Um, That was an argument that was made by the ACLU back in the day. It is so scrambled at this point that there's nothing political about it. When I look at the people always, you know, over the age of 30 or 40, a lot of young people that do it too, they tend to be a lot more ideological, a lot more online, you know, making these kind of arguments. And if it's, if it's, um, you know, the guy whose name I always forget, uh, Nick Fuentes or something like that. Woody Allen. They don't really care about this, I think, in the long run. But the people who do make this argument tend to be people from the left and the right. And that's just because generationally, and I mean, I don't know how old Chris Anderson is, but I guarantee you the difference in age between him and the people that are arguing about this within the organization is probably a gulf of 20 years. That was the interesting thing that one of our listeners did that nobody else did. I think we made people, I made people do this. I asked, because our listeners are incredible, I asked, say, hey, can you get the, the average age, to the best of your ability, oh, right. of the people who signed the Harper's letter and the average age of the people who signed the anti-Harper's letter? And it was like a gulf of like 30 years. Mm. This is the Harper's un- letter from 2020, I think The Camille signed, yeah. The Camille signed. Noam Chomsky signed. Uh, yeah. and- Usual... That was just kind of sounding the alarm uh, about attacks on free speech, and it then was immediately attacked by a bunch of extremely online progressives whose average age was 25. It was, it was something like that. Um, let, can I move on to something else? Because yeah. I, I texted yeah. both you guys about this, and I want Josh to talk about this. Um, yeah, I'm glad I got for, the heads This up. is for... No idea what's it's about Australia. Sabotage. You know everything okay. about Australia. <laughs> so the band Midnight Oil. Um, no, and, uh, sorry. <laughs> um, the hoodoo gurus. Now, um, let's uh, talk about this uh, because it is roiling Australia and getting zero attention here in America. And I want you to tell people, and I want your your Australian listeners to laugh at me when I try to do a precy of this, of the voice vote, um, which is essentially um, reparations. <laughs> it's essentially a separate kind of body that would be a, a kind of a separate body that doesn't have uh, voting rights as such for the indigenous population of Australia, Aboriginal po- population, and some islands that are mentioned I've never even heard of. Yeah. But, 
What are those islands called? The Torres Strait. Islands. Yeah, yeah. Those nobody goes there. Um, <laughs> nobody cares about them. <laughs> that's uh, that's when we say Asia Pacific Islander. Like we just like five people. We throw it in there. Um, but so this vote is coming. It's a very contentious vote. And I want you to explain what it is. And um, it is not very popular in opinion polls right now. And it looks like it's going to go down. Well, it's hard to change the Constitution. Uh, so this is a change to the Constitution. Yes. Uh, so it's a referendum. We don't do it very often, yeah. uh, as countries don't, uh, to try to change the Constitution. Uh, you need a majority of voters in a major- and a majority of states. It's what's yeah. called a double majority. Uh, so it's pretty hard to get. So at the best four of, of the... Of the uh, yes. Regions, would... and then the states, That's and right. then four 50% of the six states. Over 50%. And over 50% of the... And, uh, tough to get. Tough to get, especially since there are some small states which have three people in them. Yeah. Um, you need one and a half of those people to, <laughs> to vote for it. So, I mean, the thinking is that the... I mean, let's go all the way back, right? So 1788, the country gets invaded by the British. Uh, there are a, a number of... Uh, of or discovered. Or discovered. <laughs> if yeah. you're Michael Moynihan no, no, the, in the, the, the British discovered... It was discovery for them. And they were like, this is new to us. The, <laughs> there were there were a number, uh, unlike uh, unlike North America and uh, and New Zealand and a bunch of other colonial countries, uh, the civilizations went back uh, many, many tens of thousands of years. It, these were the oldest civilizations on the planet at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I say civilizations because there were a bunch of nations all over. You know, the land mass of Australia is like the same size North. as the contiguous United States. And yes. so you had a, bu- a very a great many languages and a great many peoples, uh, not just the uh, what the Aboriginal Australians, but also the Torres Strait Islanders who are, you know, genetically different. Um, and so they there's, you know, subsequent couple of hundred years of genocide and uh, dispossession. Uh, and incredibly racist laws. It's not until the late 60s that, sure. that we actually have a referendum to include First Nations people as citizens. You know, they're basically fauna up until 1967. Yeah. We have a referendum. Uh, we recognize them in the Constitution. Uh, we continue to with policies of taking the black children away from families, uh, you know, stealing them from their, their parents and educating them in nice white Christian boarding schools. It's just a horrible, very Canadian, horrible history. Um, <laughs> and uh, so over the past, I would say, 20 years, especially in the time that I was away, I mean, every time I would go back to Australia when I was living in New York, I noticed a marked difference in the national consciousness about First Nations people. Pardon the interruption, I just want to tell you about a video uh, that I want you to check out. It features the one and only Chuck Norris. You remember Chuck Norris? The man's in his 80s, and, uh, you know, I'm no spring chicken. Nonetheless, I care about my health. I want to live a long time. I want to uh, want to be healthy. I don't always get as many fruits and vegetables and herbs that are supposed to increase my energy levels in my own diet. So I saw this video that Chuck Norris has made. He's kicking butt. He's uh, working out. He's staying active. He has heaps of energy left over for his grandkids and so on. And he says that he, he is achieving all this by making one single change. And he feels like he's in his 50s. Go to mymorningkick.com slash Josh and watch Chuck Norris's video right now. That's mymorningkick.com slash Josh, M-Y-M-O-R-N-I-N-G, K-I-C-K, dot com slash Josh. Um, in some ways, I think the United States history of slavery has so subsumed it, that that crime looms so large over right. the other crime of, yeah. of Native Americans that it's less of an issue here and can kind of slide by here more. But it has become the you know, national crisis point, the national flashpoint, the national uh, uh, crisis to address, I suppose. 
the relationship between uh, European settlers and First Nations people. And so in the... To just interject something quickly is that um, the American conversation about this definitely informs the Australian conversation about this, doesn't it? In the sense that when I'm reading about this, and you'll get into the specifics of what the voice vote is, you do have a lot of conversation that does feel like the American conversation around 2020. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. Not the, no, no American conversation around Native Americans, but the American no, no, conversation no, about, around racial about justice. About racial justice. Yeah. Certainly, yes. very much informed by this. So when I'm reading this, I don't have the background, the history in this. I'm just sort of general stuff. But I'm like, God, this, you could just replace words. And it would I mean, be I'm not, I, wouldn't say, I wouldn't say it's inspired by it because the genesis of this comes in the, in the 2010s before, uh, before Black Lives Matter. And, and this is basically, the idea is um, that you create a body uh, which is an advisory body made up of First Nations representatives from all over the country. And they and that body's job is not to pass any laws uh, or represent uh, anybody directly. That, that body's job is simply to advise parliament when parliament is considering laws that affect First Nations yes. people. Uh, and then parliament has the freedom to ignore that advice. And that's it. So that we're going to a referendum to try to put that in the constitution. We didn't need to put it in the constitution. I mean, parliament could have just created this body, but then there's the risk that in a few years' time, another government comes in and abolishes the body. So the thinking is you put it in the constitution so that it has to exist. Now, it doesn't have to have any set, set number of members. They don't have to earn any set amount of money. All of the mm -hmm. details are yet to be ironed out. This is one reason why I think it's it's a difficult referendum to pass, perhaps, because a lot of people can say, what, is it going to be... 150,000 people earning a million dollars a year? We don't even know what we're signing up for. You're asking me to order at a restaurant. You haven't even shown me the menu yet. Mm -hmm. But of course, if you did show them the menu yet, then we'd all be we'd all be like arguing about the precise amount of money and the precise makeup of this body. The, the idea is for hundreds <laughs> of years, the, there has been a systematic bias in the Australian system against this particular group of people. Now we just have to, we've tried so many different things. Different governments have tried different things. It's going to be a, a cleaner solution to have them all gathered together in one place. So you support and, this? Well, I can't say that I will vote one way or another because, because you were I for have public to remain impartial. Yeah. Impar impartial. Yeah. I'm articulating. Even if the, you're in America, I'm just. You can like smoke weed here, even if it's illegal in Australia. <laughs> in that case, kind of thing. In case it sounds, in case that sounds like I am pro, let me just give the uh, the the counter argument. Uh, firstly. Yeah. It's un, it's anti egalitarian and undemocratic mm -hmm. uh, to uh, to racially and ethnically single out one group of people, regardless of how they've been wronged in the past. And we should always aspire towards egalitarianism. Uh, two, how is it fair to in a in a country that is full of migrants to to regard everybody who is non indigenous as being sort of complicit in the crimes of the first European settlers? More than half of the country has arrived since the Second World War. It's one of the most multi ethnic countries in the world. What does a Chinese Australian shopkeeper? Why, why doesn't? He, where is his chamber? You know, where, he's he's like, well, okay, I thought we were, I came here to be equal. Why do they get like this special voice? Then there's the question of why put it in the constitution? You know, what if it becomes corrupt? What if it becomes unrepresentative? What if it becomes handpicked and all of the people are just kind of university educated, uh, very worthy elite indigenous people who are not solving any of the problems on the ground in rural and remote and regional Australia, how do you get rid of the thing? You've just baked it into the constitution where you can have right. another referendum, try to get the referendum, the other referendum to yeah. take it away. So those would be the, oh, and then there are indigenous, there are, part, excuse the length of this, but it is complicated. No, no, sure. There are two indigenous criticisms. So about 80% of First Nations people support this, about 20% don't support it. Of those 20%, many are very visible. Uh, in, including two senators, 
um, each of whom uh, represent different oppositions to The Voice. One is it doesn't go nearly far enough because it is just white people playing a constitutional game with themselves and jerking <laughs> off. And what we actually need is a treaty uh, and a, a recognition that this is and always will be Aboriginal land and that you know, the whole nation of Australia is basically a, a crime. Uh, so good luck getting that if you don't get this, <laughs> yeah. if, you don't, if you can't even get this yeah. thing first. Then saying it for years, but go on. <laughs> then the, the, other, the other criticism is, uh, I guess, this is sort of too much and too much of a distraction. It's kind of an, almost an opposite critique, but has but sort of sounds a little bit the same, which is we need to focus on actually improving First Nations people's lives and this whole thing and mm -hmm. a treaty and all of all of the all of this kind it's of a lot of smoke and mirrors. Exactly, yeah, it's not all a lot. Smoke we don't and know mirrors. what's going to happen with it. The so thing those are two different can, indigenous oppositions. Can we, oppositions. Can we so, just applaud Josh's ability? To, to, to do the both sides of that argument. That was, that's a public, that's somebody who way. is probably I mean, going to get is... fired from the public broadcaster, but he shouldn't because that was a, a virtuoso performance. And, you know, he yes. was, you know, and I didn't even say anything when he said that the Australian nation is a crime. And I want to say that is indeed true, but for different reasons. Um, the, um, the Hemsworths, the Hemsworths. <laughs> the, so well, I'll take one of them. The former <laughs> Prime Minister John Howard, the conservative Prime Minister, who has been vocally opposed to this, made a point that I thought was a reasonable one. He said, you know, you, you make treaties with foreign governments. You don't make mm. treaties with your own citizens. That's a very odd thing to do. Even if there was actually some meat on those bones, we actually knew what was going to happen. That's a rather strange thing to do. The one thing that I thought immediately, and, and again, this is probably an argument that's made a million times, but I just looked up the numbers, you know, three to 4% of the, between three and 4% of the, of the country is, is uh, is uh, Aboriginal mm. or Torres Strait Islander? I don't want to, I don't want to forget about them, uh, even <laughs> though I've never heard of them. Uh, <laughs> this is why I'm a great voice on this thing. It's, <laughs> people I've never even heard of, but they represent. There's about what five six percent representation in Parliament. I mean, there's eight. That sounds about right. Yeah, eight senators who are Aboriginal in, in in you know the Congress. There's there's more twenty six odd total. Hey, you know more about this than I do. That is representation, is it not? I mean, and it seems to be over representation. If anything, if we're actually you know definitionally, it seems to be almost double the representation. Why is that in that deliberative body not alone worthy of you know? In, why would one have to to modify the constitution? It's more of a political play, isn't it? And I know you can't talk about this. I just realized that. <laughs> well, I mean, I probably, I mean, the argument, so let me both sides it again. I mean, the argument for why that's not enough is that the status quo is unacceptable. That the gap between white or, or like non-indigenous education and indigenous yeah. educational outcomes, uh, you know, non-indigenous lifespans and indigenous lifespans, uh, non-indigenous health and, and indigenous yeah. health, that all these things are just so stubborn and, you know, imprisonment, crime, like that something needs to be done. So obviously that disproportional representation in parliament is not sufficient. So it's not it's a not... uniquely American problem. <laughs> is that, because I, I thought it was just us. That, that would be that, that would be that yeah. argument. But, but you're right. Then the counter argument is... We have all of the systems of democracy to to solve this. The problem is a problem of will and coordination. The problem is not a problem that we we lack. A, there isn't enough bureau, bureaucracy. You know, the, the problem of the, the, the counter argument is: oh, you know, since when has it been the case that Australia does not have enough government departments and bodies overseeing yes. things? Yeah. Like that's mm -hmm. not the problem. No, the problem you could do a whole series of and... Australian yes minister about about <laughs> sure, <this. laughs> absolutely. But the, the, here's I'm going to broaden this to so American listeners will 
kind of get something out of this uh, beyond a, a, a kind of remedial history of Austria, Austria, Australia. Um, <laughs> I, I love doing that it's to Australians because it's, so, it's like they get so <laughs> mad. It's so weird. Um, like, <laughs> we are not Austrians. That is the oh, that is Hitler. Um, the Guardian. The, the right-wing paper. No, okay. the, the Guardian uh, has been, the lefty Guardian has been writing a lot about this. There's obviously an Australian Guardian too. Yeah. And there's been one theme that is something we've talked about a lot on this podcast, which I find amazing. And the thing is, is that the, the voice vote uh, looks like it's going to go down to defeat. 50-odd, maybe 55, 56%, and these opinion polls vary a little bit. Um, so there's a real um, scramble from the people who are defenders of this to respond to it. And I think this is a remarkable thing that, that we're seeing, and this is how the Trump era has really infected the politics of the entire world. Two headlines, quote, Trumpian era of disinformation makes voice yes campaign job more difficult, Megan Davis says. Megan wow. is an academic, right? Um, and then another one, this is an opinion piece by someone, you're probably familiar with the name, Van Batum. Yeah, I think Van's coming on my podcast, Uncomfortable Conversations, in a few months. This will be an uncomfortable one because <laughs> this is quite a piece. Uh, disinformania has taken over the internet. Wow. Can no voice opportunists maintain control of an unleashed far-right flank? So... They're losing this, and what is the argument that's being made? It is the Marxian Engels argument of false consciousness, which is now called this. Well, but, but, but that can be true, and it can also be true that there's a ton of misinformation and bullshit, right? It, it, it can. Like there, I've, I've heard, you know, I've received calls from people on my talkback radio show who are convinced because they got a flyer in the mail that if the voice referendum passes, yeah. that will the High Court will interpret that as a concession that Australia is stolen land and there'll be no more private property in Australia because First Nations people will be able to take your house. Mm -hmm. Now, no academic or constitutional lawyer thinks that that is even remotely true, but, but there will be yeah, people but it's who believe politics, it. Yeah, right? that, that, is, is, that is misinformation. Sh sure, Josh, but, did mean, you say they sent the, something in the, through the post? Yes, like, not, no, not an email. This yeah. is this is okay. yeah, this is this is how Australia <laughs> does its misinformation, mate. A kangaroo <laughs> jumps up to your front yeah. door. <laughs> Guy outside with a pith helmet on, <laughs> distributing fake news. Couldn't believe it. <laughs> Fucking right. The letter is in the pouch of yeah. the kangaroo <laughs> that comes to your door. But oh, this God. is but the the language of this disinformation as this yeah. thing that must be typically fought by governments, right? and fought by public broadcasters. And that's like, they're, we are in the business of countering disinformation. There's a reason why you put Trump in it, it because yeah. it like, it it all sounds like this dark, ominous cloud. Yeah. As if it is especially different than every other political campaign since in the history. dawn of man. Mm -hmm. Well, so the idea yeah. of fake news as popularized by the Trump administration has caught on everywhere. So yeah. every time that somebody wants to, you know- uh, Which no one remembers was stolen was from Hillary, yes. Hillary Clinton. Yeah. Originated by- She a, said yeah. fake news, that the, the reason they're winning was fake news and, you know, Facebook ads and the rest of it. And Donald Trump was like, I'm going to take that. And I'll tell you what Donald <laughs> Trump has taken also. Oh no. I was at a Trump rally as a journalist um, last uh, three or four <laughs> sure. days ago in yeah. Detroit. Maga. And I noticed this, Mark, it was great. Why were you wearing a uh, red hat? Moynihan's here. Um, he said, uh, and he keeps, the, he said this in, in a couple of uh, speeches before and after, he keeps on saying fascism. He said, you know, he's like, when to defeat the communists, the Marxists, the fascists, and he's going like, he's, he's now taking fascism too, which I think is hilarious. That's Trump good. is Antifa. He's Antifa. Yeah. He's like, I'm the real Antifa. I he's love Antifa. You sit down wrong. You're fake. Um, but it's, it's incredible because this, this idea of misinformation though, it, it, it it's, 
what undergirds it is this idea that if people only had the real truth, they would agree with me. That's the kind of Thomas Frank argument right. of what's, what's the matter with Kansas is that what's the matter with Kansas? Why don't they agree with Tom Frank? And they say, oh, they have um, the wrong priorities. You know, who the fuck are you to tell them what their priorities should yeah, be, number yeah. one? But also, it's, it undermines, I mean, what percentage of people are the crazy person that calls into your show? Is that 5%? Is it 50%? Because they make it sound in a lot of the news stories that I've read about, there's 50%, 60%. No, I mean, there's also a lot of virtue signaling, a shock horror, yeah. you know, especially from the, <laughs> the yes side. And I mean, you know, you go around the neighborhoods that I live in. I, I live in the inner west of Sydney, which is sort of like the Brooklyn or, you know, the Silver Lake, or, mm. you know, choose your example of the kind of bohemian uh, area. And uh, needless to say, uh, shock <laughs> horror. And, and every, you know, every, every block will have multiple houses with an Aboriginal flag in it with Yes, a, a yes poster. I yeah, they had a flag. Well, yeah, it flies on top of the Harbour Bridge, mate. Really? Check it out. All right. Uh, they replaced, it is their land. They, they replaced <laughs> the state flag with the Aboriginal flag a few years ago, so there's no reason why you would know that. But anyway, there are a lot of yes posters, yes, uh, you know, flags. And, uh, do they on, do the, all in, over the place. in this house we believe in stuff? Yeah, that's my fact. I saw no, one what's yesterday. That? Oh, oh, you wow. haven't seen that? No, is that an American oh, thing? You've been oh, gone a while, yeah. yeah in this yeah. house, we believe in, and then what do you yeah, find it's underneath? It's usually it's science. Science is, science is real. That's the one I saw yesterday. Oh God, science is real. Everyone, Meaning you need to wear three masks. Yeah. Yes. science is real. <laughs> it's science is real. Love is love. Yeah, water love is, love. is wed. If we see Black your two-year-old in speech therapy without three masks, they'll yeah. be arrested. Yeah, yeah. Right. because science is science. so. The Aboriginal flag is essentially the Angolan flag without the without the sickle in the middle. I love that you know the angle yeah that's right. you're just yeah. googling this right now yeah. it's looking furiously at his laptop no i'm looking at the aboriginal <laughs> flag it's a, so many flags god but, everyone chill out with the flag i mean my point about the virtue signaling was just there are no no uh flags or no signs oh right so mm. it's way more fashionable i mean like and the hypocrisy i think i'm free to say this on the yes side reeks of the same kind of hypocrisy that you see in very worthy progressives all over the world, where it's like the only reason, like Mike was just saying, the only reason why a person would disagree with me is because they're an irredeemable, awful person. They're a yeah. racist or something, not not because mm -hmm. they might have legitimate concerns about the wisdom of changing the constitution sure. or whatever it might be. I mean, and you're, so there's the, like I saw on Twitter, a famous Australian comedian who has a television show in the UK saying, um, it's extraordinary that backlash that I'm getting and the hate, racism, ableism, uh, this and that-ism uh, from the, just for standing up for justice for our indigenous yeah. brothers. And I'm like, well, hang on a second. What's the likelihood that if you put up a yes poster or a yes flag saying, I support this change to give a voice to indigenous Australians, that you're going to get a brick through your window or get the front of your house spray painted, yeah, or have someone not take a shit risks. on your yeah. front door. I mean, Zero. they're not freedom riders. Come on. Zero. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I guarantee, at least in my neck of the woods, in the places where, where the cool kids hang out, if you put up a no poster, there would oh, be a yeah. brick through the window. So spare me the sanctimonious. So it is yeah. like that, that in the kind of Brooklyn areas of the major metropolitan um, cities in, in, in Australia, that... The no is something you don't say out loud. I reckon it'll. I reckon it'll pass by eighty plus percent in the mm. in the really yeah in the cool kid area in the in the wealthy areas. Of, well, this of, this of Van Batham uh, person, the entire piece, which was you know seemed to me to be about seven thousand words, uh, about five thousand eight thousand too long. But she said <laughs> these are just list the things that people 
said to her on Twitter, and um, these are the trolls, and it's the QAnon people, and it's all stuff about QAnon. And it's essentially saying that if you're on the other side, you're you're essentially Steve Bannon. And she does reference Steve Bannon a couple of times in this piece. But um, yeah, I find that I find that kind of writing and that kind of um, opinion journalism to be the cheapest type of opinion journalism that somebody said bad things to me on Twitter. Yeah, I mean, it takes it takes the kernel of a truth, which is that all racists will vote no. Yeah, and then extrapolates from that mm-hmm. to something that is not a logical conclusion, which is yeah. that all no voters must be racist. So I did this piece for... Uh, but I'm not talking about Van specifically. Yeah, yeah, of course, of course. No, I did this piece for Barry Weiss's uh, podcast, Honestly, which you should check out. Um, and the first half of that was Barry in... Um, at the Reagan Library... Li- I can't even speak. Reagan I Library in that. Simi Valley. And then I did uh, one from Trump's rally because he didn't show up, of course, at the debate. Only 100 people, according to Michael Moynihan. Uh, outside. Right. Okay. That was outside. I didn't know if that came through because he was hilarious and he was like, thousands, yeah. can't get thousands <laughs> outside, thousands. And I was just like, I was like, I was just out there. It's like literally like 50 people all in rascal scooters, like going in circles. Like, I don't know what you're talking about. But there is a moment which I had them add to the piece where I was interviewing people on the way out and it was like a torrential downpour. So hard to get people. So this, everyone's huddled under this you know little awning in this big rough looking guy comes by and I was like, let me, can I talk to you? And he said, who are you with? And I said, the free press. So we're in Detroit, the Detroit free press. And I said, mm. and he's like, fuck you, fuck the free. And I said, no, 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 it, it's not that free press. It's Barry Weiss's free press. And he walks away and he goes, go get your fucking yarmulke. Really says this. Oh, nice. And, wow. And so I just walked with him and I was like, hey, no, okay, all right, well, tell me where you get your news. And he is talking to some of the Trump um, volunteers. Or actually, I think they were volunteers. One of the guys gave me my press credentials. And they were talking about how they loved the Holocaust denier Nick Fuentes. This is where we get our oh, stuff, Nick Fuentes. Seriously? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they were like, oh, Nick Fuentes. So I did this piece. And I guarantee you, if I was the NPR person that got that, that would have been the piece, right? This guy. Yeah. I talked to about, you know, you know 50 other people who I probably disagreed with about all of them, but were perfectly nice, really loved their, you know, uh, auto industry jobs or their union jobs, actually that weren't in the auto industry. And they were like, maybe Trump can help us. Some uh, voted for Joe Biden. One guy that I talked to voted for Obama. There was a lot of like, do you work in the auto industry? Um, I buy an American car once <laughs> yeah, in a while. Yeah, yeah, He gets into his Kia. Yeah, he gets into his Kia. <laughs> yeah. and, and, and so there was a lot of that, but like that is the thing. You can focus on that, right? And it's like the Twitter stuff. There's always going to be that one guy. And that one guy, I made sure that he was included because it, those are the type of people um, that are going to show up. Not all the people that there are racists or anti-Semites, but every racist and anti-Semite is going to vote for your candidate. Yeah. That's for mm-hmm. sure. Yeah. And so it's worth mentioning, and that actually is something that did happen. But to say, like, you know, these are the people, all of these pieces about, you know, the the voice vote and like, oh, my God, the unbelievable racism and hate I got online. I'm like, yeah, but what percentage of that is the actual electorate that's going to vote no on this? And it's hard to tell. They don't appear to want to quantify that because, you know, obviously it's much more interesting and you can get people riled up by saying they're all a bunch of fascists. I mean, it it is a bit worrying to the chattering classes, and I include myself in this, what it looks like if the vote goes down. Like, it's not a great look to people 
outside of Australia who don't necessarily, who aren't familiar with the ins and outs of, who haven't listened to this episode, uh, to just see the headline that Australia had an opportunity to give a voice to its First Nations people and declined to do so. Like, the, the country already suffers from a reputation of being yeah. uncultured, white, racist yeah. boobs. Yeah. It probably doesn't And I thank God, because down, it's, so. we need someone else in the English-speaking world that beats us on this. But we're so much like, oh, fucking Americans, and I'm like, Australians? Yeah, <laughs> what about them? Everyone loves our beaches, and they think we look pretty. <laughs> it's true. The, uh, have, you, have you heard anything about Gail Garcia Bernal being, uh, getting backlash for playing a gay person? Uh, no. Oh. Is, is he not gay? No, apparently he's not gay. Oh my god! And well, that was weird. Straight, so this is straight washing or something. <laughs> Are we still doing that? Apparently yeah, we're still doing I, that. I he's mean, in. He's. In, I think it's an Almodovar movie or something. He plays like a, a Mexican wrestler who's a who's gay in the eighties. And I was listening to another podcast. And is he actually about, a luchador himself? <laughs> I mean, yeah. We have to tick through all of the boxes. And he was uh, again. Yeah, His and character the, has you know, a lisp. Well. And I listened to this 20-minute review of, uh, of movie reviewers talking about this movie, and the main subject is about how problematic it is. Like, he's fantastic, but there are so many gay actors who could have done it. I'm like, mm -hmm. I mean... Is that... Can you, can you <laughs> name them? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm thinking Hispanic, gay, I mean, how gay do Ricky you Martin. To, how gay do you have to be, though? Is there a, is there a threshold? Yeah, like, if you've yeah, got, exactly. like, one body, what if you, what yes, if you got right. two... I if mean, you're bi-curious, if you just post it <laughs> online occasionally. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like I mean, sometimes, sometimes you look harder at him than her. It's not like That's what you do. <laughs> <laughs> um, did, did, should we uh, point out, by the way, the only, because recording this on a Saturday, the only news story um, that has really come across the transom in the United States today is uh, Jamal Bowman. Oh, so good. Representative Jamal Bow Bowman from, from New York City. Yeah. Um, who's a commie. Uh, uh, pulled the fire alarm in the House of Representatives. On purpose. On purpose. What? But then he released a statement that was like, his people were like, he thought that opened the door. And I was like, how long has he been? He thought it opened the door? <laughs> the thing that said fire on it? So he's illiterate? It fairness, Disqualified. That, that's how it is in the subway in New York. No, no, uh, seriously. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, I mean, that's crazy. Well, yeah. Why did he do was, this? Was this when they were voting on the, um, on the, yeah. on the extension? <laughs> yes. He was trying yeah. to stop it. During he didn't the want vote. them to be able to pass the extension. D during the vote, he pulled the fire alarm. <laughs> so now crazy. you have... You know, democracy dies <laughs> in the bright cannon office building. Glenn Green Greenwald is very unironically calling for his prosecution. Uh, really? Well, yeah, because he's making the- uh, He should have played yes. that wrestler. He's being he's making, he's, yeah. <laughs> he's making the whataboutism point. That's how gay. Yeah. That's how gay. Yeah. And he's South American. He's, he's living yeah, in South yeah. America. He's, he's, he's close he's enough to Spanish. Gay. He's his yeah. 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 That's, what, that's exactly that he should do it. Can, uh, can no, I ask under the argument that oh. all the uh, January 6th protests, or a lot of the January 6th protesters were uh, prosecuted under this kind of reach of a statute of disrupting an official proceeding. Um, and by that same exact logic, this guy intentionally disrupted an official proceeding. So he's going to have to face six months in the, in the Huskow, according to a lot of people. A New York yeah. Democrat, Jamal Bowman, literally pulled a fire alarm to stall and prevent our efforts to force a vote to keep the federal government open. Pathetic. Criminal investigation needs to happen, said upstate GOP Congressman Nick Langworthy. Here we go. And a few others calling for his, um, to be kicked out of the of the chamber. Lock him up. Um, but uh, that's pretty funny. But th this should not go without punishment. This is an embarrassment, Kevin McCarthy said. 
Um, but that is an amazing, amazing tactic. It's like you're panicking. You're like, I don't, I don't know what to do. How do we get this? Pull the fire alarm? <laughs> Basically, fifth grade. It's, yeah, that's right. It's what my six year old daughter would would yes. say as a yeah. solution. Like if someone says if people are about to vote on something you don't like, what do you do? Pull the fire alarm. Pull the fire alarm. Then they all have to evacuate, Daddy. Glad so to it, hear that she's a hooligan. That's yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> she's Australian. Man. She is Australian. You know, she's a crocky fucking fire alarm. Pull it. Josh, I, I don't want to. Um, I don't want to. I think. I think this is probably fine. When you were talking about the voice vote, you gave um, the two sides. But the for me, the best argument against the, the various equity things that I encounter um, is that aiming for parity is a, a far worse way to try and make things better for people who are actually suffering through deprivations of various kinds than just trying to address deprivations and improve the lives of the people who are struggling the most irrespective of what they look like. Are there, are there people um, who are perhaps part of that first nations community, even though I don't like these phrases, um, but who, who, who appreciate that? Is there any sort of constituency yeah, among them there are. who make that argument? There are. Yeah, I mean, um, is there an Aboriginal Camille? That's what he's trying to say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, no one could be a Camille. There is only one yeah. Camille Foster. Yeah. Um, yes, so one. Uh, I would say that one half of the Indigenous No camp is in that uh, is on that side of the aisle, saying, okay. well, "Well, we need our practical solutions." I'm not sure that they'd articulate it exactly the way that you're saying by saying like it needs to be. Colorblind. I mean, I think they would not, still not, want not to colorblind. I do. I do have issue with that phrase, but that's a whole nother right. thing. Right. But yeah, I, I think they would look. I think they would want to map the how the disparities between Indigenous Australians and non-Indigenous Australians were moving, and want to. And I think parity. I don't think there are many people who would disagree with parity in, say, life expectancy and health outcomes between uh, races. I don't think many people would think that that's a bad idea to 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 keep track if one group has been historically shat upon. But I do think that they there would be a lot of differences of opinion about how that is done. Is there a reparations movement? No, no. At the moment, this is it seems crazy to me. I mean, at the moment, this is this, is, this the, is what reparations should be for in America as well. Like you committed a crime against these people, you signed in our case treaties that you broke at every case. You took people from their families. You did a lot of really horrible shit. Well, when I say no, what I, I guess I mean is that the conversation at the moment is consumed with this enormous national project to change the constitution. So mm -hmm. like one thing at a time. And there are people who are talking about reparations, who are talking about a treaty and who are talking about all these other things. But I think those people are confused if they think that those things are going to happen if this thing goes down. Like, the, you know, I, I think there's this kind of... You know, there can be a progressive, almost quasi-Marxist revolutionary, illusory fervor that people get into where they think you just have to burn it all down and mm -hmm. then the green shoots will appear in the out of the rubble. Like, uh, a Bannon thing, too. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. The Year right zero has, is a, a quaint has idea. it, too. Yeah. Right, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And it's just bizarre. Like, there's a contingent of indigenous Australians who who say, this is the wrong, like, let's 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 vote no so that in the next in the coming years we can do a much bigger and more audacious reform like a treaty and i think if you understand how the messy reality of politics tends to work and how <laughs> the inertia of public opinion tends to function and how political expediency tends to arise 
the idea that you're going to do this huge national attempt to do something, it's going to fail, and then you're going to immediately turn around and do something even larger and more audacious as a result, <laughs> just isn't, does not, in my experience, tend to be how politics is, goes. Is it true? I mean, look, I've been digging into a lot of this stuff in the US and opinions, incredible opinion polls, the massive book of opinion polls that I found. Um, right when they started becoming reliable in the 1940s about people, you know, willing to have black people move in their neighborhood, willing to have black students at their school where their kids go. This is um, white people who are who are polled. And the numbers are absolutely shocking and not unexpected, but absolutely shocking in like 1940. The change in 20 years is also actually shocking. I mean, it's, you know, heartening that it goes from 40 percent of people say, I, I'm happy having a black person move into the neighborhood to something like 70%, 65%. Then it goes up from there. And I'm sure that you probably would be in the 90 plus percent, I'm sure right now. In Australia, I mean, you see this representation of people in parliament. You say it was only 1967 where, where Aboriginal people actually became Australians, as it were. It seems also that there's been an enormous amount of progress in a short period of time. People often misunderstand this and say that what you're saying is that racism is over, things are, are, are solved. No, it's not a binary thing. But progress has been made, and that's very difficult for a lot of people on a particular side of the argument to ever acknowledge. Is it true? Because we know this, and I don't make this argument, but people talking about reparations in the U.S. tend to make this argument um, in the anti-reparation side. I think it's kind of a more extreme end that says this. But, you know, the war on poverty, um, uh, affirmative action, all of these things, government programs, were a form of reparations. So we've had that in a way already. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying I agree with that, but that's just an argument that's made. Have there been a number of programs since 1967 to today that have allowed you know, people that have been pounded into the pavement for so long and you know, disrespected, their land stolen, their children stolen, given them an edge up an affirmative action type program or something. Yes, I mean, there have been massive programs. So there's I mean, been a there's, lot. There's it been hasn't been ignored. There's been, enormous, there's been enormous amounts of money. But I mean, it, you know, what exactly do you do? You know, those, those things have problems of their own. I mean, sure, 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 give, yeah. give people, uh, you know, who live in remote areas as, uh, as much money as they need. And then what does that do to their entrepreneurialism, for example? What does that do to the to local indigenous businesses and so on if, people, if, there's, if, there, if you remove financial incentives? So then you swing in the other direction. You go, okay, we need a self-reliance ethos. And then that doesn't quite work because, you know, you haven't got the educational resources. So you pour more money into education, but then, uh, you know, maybe you're not addressing domestic violence and alcoholism and family strife. So then one government literally sort of militarized the response and sent in the, the military and was like, okay, let's, let's get tougher on this. And then the next government comes in and goes, we have to get softer on this. I mean, the reality is you have this irreconcilable clash between the, the oldest and quote unquote most primitive civilization in the world at the time. That'll get me in trouble. But uh, I'm talking from the perspective of someone in the 1700s where the British Empire is the most technologically course, sophisticated yeah. uh, civilization in the world. And these, these, according to the sort of logic of, well, you start out uh, you know, pre-agricultural and you go through the Bronze Age and then the Iron Age sure, and, you yeah. know, you go from the Stone Age and then you develop agriculture and then you develop houses and buildings and <laughs> so on. I mean, the Europeans came to the land mass and they had a set of criteria by which they determined whether or not a land mass was inhabited and they declared it terra nullius. It's an empty land mass because there aren't buildings, there isn't farming, they're not using metals and stuff like that. So you've got, a, you've got the largest gulf probably anywhere in the world between where two civilizations are at, or rather one civilization, a whole bunch of civilizations in Australia. And so 
yes, all of those attempts since 1967 and before to try to, try to resolve those differences, it's not an easy thing. It's not like, it's no. not like someone has a master mm-hmm. plan. And I think the biggest evolution and the, the thing that Australians can be proudest of is that there is a, 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 there's been a massive shift in recent decades, culturally, intellectually, emotionally, about the importance of the issue. The problem is that can also exhibit itself in ways that could be fatuous or virtue signally, like every single meeting now in Australia and every single event begins with an acknowledgement of country, which is like a land acknowledgement. Oh, God. So even if you meet, we really on Zoom, explored a lot of dumb things that way. I don't no. think you. I'm not even sure you explored. We might have got a man. Yeah, Did, we get, yeah. No, we yeah. could have. I mean, I the only we thing we've ever gotten possible. from them was Yahoo Serious, and he lasted for about six months. <laughs> the indigenous <laughs> connection to the land is profound. This is not something that, that needed importation from the United States. I think. I mean, it's something that they do with each other. That, that there would be Aboriginal nations that would meet, and they'd have a, they'd do a welcome to country ceremony to each other. And yeah, like but when a bunch of white people them. are doing it on Zoom, it's different. It certainly feels <laughs> yeah, different. Yeah, yeah, and. And so, so then the question when is, do that, I'm like, oh, that's cool. That's interesting. Then the question is, does that become a distraction from actually resolving the real life circumstances of Indigenous Australians because it helps us to feel good about ourselves without really doing anything practical, yeah. or is it a necessary precursor, or do they run alongside each other? So to answer, that's a long way of answering your question about yeah. like what has happened since 1967. What I would say is, what has happened even just in the past 20 years in my like adult lifetime is a revolution in the way that Australians think about First Nations people yeah. from being something that they can exclude from their daily life to uh, to the sort of national issue along with probably climate change. And then, but the, in parallel, yes, advances in closing the gap between Indigenous Australians and non-Indigenous Australians, but that hasn't moved as fast as the cultural awakening has. Isn't there isn't there a risk of, of kind of uh, infantilizing? And, yes. Uh, I mean... The reasons why the gaps persist and perhaps even widen in certain areas may not necessarily boil down to, you know, colonialization. It could be any number of things, especially if, for example, you insist on trying to live a lifestyle um, and in a way kind of separate from the rest of the community because you know this is how we've always done it and this is how we're going to do it going forward that may actually retard your development and it's the reason why i say addressing disparities as opposed to looking for parity probably makes the most sense because there is a a, a complex infrastructure from culture to to social interactions etc that all have to be taken into account and simply insisting over and over again that this population must be dealt with separately, must be regarded independently, and must be viewed as a kind of perpetual victim. And forever and ever, amen, disparities that exist between anyone who happens to look like this and anyone who happens to look like that must always be explained in this way. It's a kind of essentialist fundamentalism that I think is necessarily going to lead to problems down the road. And, and the one, reality is that there are disparities in all directions in the United the, States. The word, um, and yeah. there happens to be one with, you know, one that gets obsessed over over all of them. You're talking about Jews. Uh, and I think it's generally <laughs> yes, not helpful. Of yes. Yeah. They own <laughs> yeah, everything. And I think it's great. <laughs> and I'm grateful. Radio. Yeah. Let's, let's just cut the mics off because <laughs> Jews on these mics. Um, the one thing that concerns me a lot about this, and I've spent way too much time in the past month uh, reading about race relations in America, let's put it in a broad way like that, since, you know, this, 
1600s. And what the conclusion that I come to is not a conclusion about the history of American race relations. It's one where at the end of it, I'm incredibly despondent. And I'm despondent because I look at Australia and I look at Sweden. These are two examples that I've been looking at recently. I've been trying to pay attention to this voice vote. And you see that from, you know, colonization in, in, in Australia to the present day, an enormous gap has opened up. Um, it, it narrowed probably a little bit, but it's the huge gap between the indigenous population and the Well, white... just to clarify, it hasn't opened up. I mean, the gap was there. Was there. It was there. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not like they had no, but rockets. It, 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 the gap opened the, the second they got onto Australian land. Yeah. <laughs> There's the gap. Um, mm. But you have this happening in Australia. You look at Sweden. Sweden, last week, um, uh, Ulf Christensen, the, the prime minister, called out the military because of the gang problem that's going on in Sweden. There was a, a, a bombing the other day, killed an innocent woman um, in these gang wars. Um, the gangs, uh, what people don't want to talk about in Sweden, that some people do, are mostly immigrant gangs. Um, the people, the prison population is wildly disproportionately people from Afghanistan, the Middle East, et cetera. And every conversation that I see from one particular perspective in the United States in because you know this is the Abraham Max Kendi uh, position in Australia, in Sweden, focuses entirely on racism, entirely, almost exclusively. That's what Kendi's book is about. And when I go back and read this stuff, I say, well, you know, yeah, it's absolutely worth not only knowing this stuff but understanding the background, the history of how we got to where we are. That is also true in Australia. It's also true in Sweden. But I fear the disappointment that is going to wash over everybody when they realize that the problem is a thousand times more complicated than this. And when you're only making political arguments, and I think the, the profession of sociology has been taken over by political ideologues. A lot of these people, a lot of these you know, papers that I've been reading are unbelievably political. And there's no solution to any of these things because when you look at money that's been put into all these programs, the fact that in Sweden, I mean, everyone has apartments. They're basically given an apartment when they arrive in Sweden. Integration's been an issue. But the, when you look at the newspapers in Sweden, particular newspapers, it's just like if we don't stop Swedish racism, uh, which is the only thing that is, that is mm -hmm. preventing the development of our immigrant communities in creating the crime. This is literally a piece that I read yesterday. The crime mm -hmm. is, being, is a creation of white supremacy. That it's so unbelievably embarrassingly simplistic that that is what dominates the debate. Mm. I mean, truly what dominates the debate. I mean, I, the, the Kendi stuff is, I'm not Chris Rufo on this stuff, but when I'm looking at what kids are reading about this stuff, when it's political, it's usually in that direction. I've got to say, there's less of that in Australia. Yeah. And, and the Yes campaign does not predicate itself on the, the woes of Indigenous Australians being caused by racism. That, that, that actually is not a necessary component of the, the case. It does exist, though, that argument. Well, it exists in, yes, of course. I mean, people who, who flail around and, you know, want to take cheap shots at the no side will, will use the, the cheapest tool yeah. that they have available, which is to accuse them of racism. But the actual Yes campaign itself, like the official campaign, is one of positivity, is one of, like, we are all Australians, you know, it's, it's shitty that we, were, that we have this kind of, uh, this heritage, you know, this baggage that we, have, that we still have to carry from a shitty thing that happened in the past. Let's not mope around and, and feel guilty about it. Like, no one, no one now alive is to blame. Let's just do this change to provide yeah. opportunity to everybody. I mean, I think, Camille, your point is really interesting about, uh, you know, 
is race necessarily the the best metric? So there are, I mean, I've always said this about American racism as well, which struck me as a foreigner moving to the United States and seeing the racial conversation here, that there was a big jigsaw piece missing from the conversation and that piece was class, yeah. that there's an overlay between class and race. And so we often confuse the two, I think. I mean, you know, a, a, we have certain attitudes towards towards people who smell like urine, <laughs> you know, and, and yeah. if a disproportionately large they're number... just called my friends, but they're fine. They just have dis- disproportionately yeah, large, like a party, large number of redheads, you know, were shuffling around the streets smelling of urine, then you would have certain attitudes about redheads. And so, you know, and, and disadvantage and, and, you know, the perpetuation of disadvantage over the course of generations. Um, so similarly in Australia... There's that problem. You know, the disadvantage means that people's attitudes towards First Nations people get coloured by, in the same way that their attitudes towards poor people would be coloured. And then the second component in Australia that's essential to understand is geography. And as you alluded to, Camille, I mean, you know, if you live, we've got a landmass the same size as the contiguous United States. We've got the population Mm -hmm. of Florida. And all of that population of Florida, 80% of it is huddled on the eastern, on the bottom half of the eastern coast within 60 miles, 100 miles of the coast. Then you've got thousands of miles. If you're living in the middle of those thousands of miles, then of course there are going to be disparities in health outcomes. Huge. Access to, you know, uh, to to specialists, uh, educational outcomes. And so you're right, Camille. I I, I don't think the attempt is to say we must racialize this because the prob- the only problem is that white people are being racist. I think the claim is there are all of these challenges that map unequally onto this group of civilizations that had been here for longer than anyone had been anywhere. And therefore, let's, the way to, to address those is for representatives of those nations to have some forum in which they can debate. And I guess debate. one of the things that I uh, am frustrated with in the conversation in the United States, which is, of course, the one that I pay the most attention to, is the idea of a uniqueness to it in the United States or in Western Europe. In the, the UK, is a pretty similar debate about this. But, you know, when you focus on race, you all you have to do is kind of look at any other region in the world, any other region, and you will find something similar that is oftentimes not based on race. I mean, how do you think that Russians look at Chechens? or Georgians, or Azerbaijanis. I mean, this is universal in mm. the world. And there well, is going... A- Asian on Asian racism is really it's, interesting. It's always, oh, well, that's you know? my it's favorite. hilarious. Yeah, yeah, the, the, the way and that Japanese. people talk about... I mean, the way that the Japanese talk about the Chinese, the way that the Chinese talk about the Japanese, the, the, the way Koreans that the Koreans talk about, about the Chinese. Talk about the the Chinese. way that yeah. Nikki Haley talks about Vivek Ramaswamy. Yeah, yeah, different. I, <laughs> I, will, yeah. I will dine out on that. Yeah, I so badly wanted to do an accent right there, so much. Yeah, I can't do it. Banned. You'll get uh, Josh. Uh, I'm not going to get Josh banned. This is um, a very uncomfortable conversation. <laughs> <laughs> Extremely uncomfortable conversation. I think you can get that podcast on Substack as well. You can subscribe to become a premium member. It's a great listen. Extremely <laughs> uncomfortable yeah. conversations? Yeah. <laughs> Google that and only that in quotation marks so you don't get any other crap. Um, yeah. Camille, just before I forget, one thing, one interesting point that you sort of alluded to about the about disparities of outcomes is that some people have said, well, you're baking this thing into the Constitution, this new body. So why don't you have a suicide trigger where once there is equality between Indigenous Australians and non-Indigenous Australians on all of the metrics that you want, the thing dissolves? 
why do you need it forever in the constitution if the point is to close mm -hmm. the gap between outcomes of Indigenous and non-Indigenous Australians? You're putting this thing in the country forever. And you're talking about problems that you want to overcome over some time frame. That doesn't make any sense. That's what Sandra Day O'Connor said in her ruling on affirmative action, that we probably won't need this in 25 years. Yeah. That was 22 years ago. Um, that was always a conversation that had an end date and expiry in it that once these goals were met, we would disassemble it. Um, that's not a conversation that really happens now, though, I would say. Not really. It happens basically at the Supreme Court. Um, and yeah, yeah, yeah. not yeah. generally even that much in politics anymore, yeah. which is really curious because in the 1990s, it was a huge topic. There's uh, ballot initiatives everywhere, especially in California where I'm from, um, uh, against affirmative action. And these things tended to be popular um, in California and, and everywhere else too, but it was part of politics. It was right-coded politics mm -hmm. to be like motivated by being against affirmative action. It isn't anymore. Yeah, it's not. But that sort of revolution kept simmering under the surface, especially within the libertarian legal legal movement. Um, so um, uh, it it shows up suddenly and everyone is like shocked and for about a week, Slate will say that America is about ready to plunge into eternal darkness and then they forget about it until the next abortion case. <laughs> what, what, is, what is Slate? <laughs> slate is the yeah, Slate yeah, that yeah. talking about? <laughs> Not familiar with it. Yeah. It sounds pretty good though. Um, <laughs> it's what they're smoking on the streets in New York. <laughs> it's a new drug yeah, called slate. slate. Yeah. <laughs> Mandatory. Zeps, I'm curious. I mean, how, when was the last time you were in the States? I was here, uh, so peak Omicron actually, and I was going to catch up okay. with you guys. And I think, I think Matt, you and I had a lunch date in December of uh, 2021. And then you got Omicron. I think, th I think the day yeah, before you got, you got COVID. That's when uh, like uh, Nick Gillespie insisted on having like a, a, a close quarters reason happy hour to celebrate yeah. Christmas. Yeah. And every <laughs> single person yeah. got not just like Omicron, but AIDS. Yeah, you got syphilis. Same, yeah. <laughs> I thought you got syphilis. It's yeah. a great, it great party. Such a great... 18 months ago, Camille, is yeah. <laughs> when I was last pre, pre, how, how, do, how do things look to you now that, you're, now that you're back? Look, I mean, I'm only here for the weekend, so I'm not going to be like the, the Thomas Friedman who goes to Egypt for one weekend and talks yeah. to a cab driver and comes back and writes an op-ed about yeah. what all Egyptians think. Works pretty think. well for him. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, you know, the problem is the Jews. You, big Jew in New York Times. No good. Uh, you know, I just love this city. I, I always do. I'm such a sucker for it. My formative years were here. My 20s mm -hmm. and 30s were in New York City. I came to New York. I didn't come. I didn't move to the United States. I didn't want to be in the United States. I didn't care about the United States. I cared about New York. I loved this town. Uh, I, I just loved it. I, and and um, yeah, I had I had a just a tremendous time here. So when I you know I literally I'm I'm that guy who as the plane is coming into LaGuardia and I see the skyline like a lump forms in my throat and my eyes you, well up. I, I you, love it. You you and me both, man. I, I, to be totally to honest, every it's time the only place I go over feels the bridge. Like I mean, honestly, yeah. when I drive over the bridge, I'm cab over the bridge. Same. You know, I'm at, I'm at that point in my life now where I have two little kids. I have my podcast, which is going really well. I have a job, which is going really well. Sounds and like it's a lot of it's yeah. a lot of we'll see <laughs> no but I mean <laughs> that's right exactly until a managing director gives me a call yeah. the, uh, next yeah. week no but uh, it's a lot of work and so when I think back to my time in New York where I had no responsibilities no mortgage uh, you know a pretty pretty cruisy life 
and I was in my twenties. Uh, as a gay man, that as a gay man in New York City, a cruisy life. <laughs> oh, I, <laughs> yeah. Okay. I meant relaxed. Yeah, but yeah. Sure. Not cruising both ways. Yeah, it's sure. A good town yeah. for both. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so yeah, so there's a certain amount of wistfulness as I walk the streets and go, you know, walk past my old apartment building, and I think yeah. I remember going in here. I, I went to HuffPost Live today. I just walked past the building where I went in for what? What is that now? now? A mattress yeah. store? I, what was that? <laughs> It's something RT. It's, it's RT. Yeah, yeah it's Sputnik. Yeah. yeah, all sorts of great news from Josh Zaps coming from Australia. Um, yeah. By the way, if you um, before right before you got here, Matt and I were talking about the great Norm Macdonald. And I always like to bring this up that the, my favorite clip of Norm Macdonald actually is Norm Macdonald and Josh Zaps. God, I miss oh. that guy. Uh, the, mm. did, you, did you know this? The one where I did not. I don't remember. He really, really brutalizes Seth Meyers, which is uh, oh yeah. No, yeah, yeah. wasn't it? Wasn't a Fallon or uh, Seth Meyers? Oh, was it? Yeah. Anyway, we kind of shot on all of them because I was. Yeah. You know how Norm has that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like I, you know, they're good guys. <laughs> uh, uh, well, he, and he I, did the thing where he was like, he was like, yeah. When I think of comedy, I think of what would Seth Meyers do. <laughs> Just unbelievable. <laughs> I was trying to, I was trying to kind of poke him and like try to get because I, I, I'm a huge fan of, of Letterman, uh, yeah, and yeah. I, I always hated Jay Leno, and yeah. uh, and I think Jimmy Fallon is fatuous, and so I was kind of trying to get Norm's because Norm was a Dave Letterman guy as well. Yeah. And I wanted, and he wrote with Jim Downey, who you just hung out with, who was uh, one of the first uh, writers on on Letterman on Late Night. It yeah, was like, right. like in the first season. Yeah, I think you can still find that most of the HuffPost live stuff because I was, a, you know, one of the one of, we call them presenters, one of the hosts and producers yeah. of that uh, misbegotten adventure. But it was fabulous while it, when it was at its peak. And it was 20, fun. I used to do it all yeah. the time. I loved it. Yeah, yeah, you would come on on. Yeah, uh, yeah you only had one colleague who I really hated. So oh, who's that? Tell. Who's that? Mark Myhill. Oh, right. Oh, yeah. By the way, that's you nice. just said Mama Moo. Mama Moo. Yeah, Mark yeah. Lamont Hill is yeah, what you're trying yeah, to say. Yeah, he's talking yeah. like the Moses the Malone talking professor. about the Lakers. Yeah, he's the hip-hop professor. <laughs> I like, he's, he's, I like he's, Oh, the hip-hop intellectual. He's very, Excuse he's me. He's a very nice person, by the way. I do like him. And uh, um, he is someday going to prove that Mumia is innocent. Uh, which was, He like wrote a book about that like 20 years after. Like Michael Moore was like, yeah, guy's probably guilty. Who Michael Moore literally wrote that in his book. He's probably guilty. Um, which is, shows you how guilty he was. But anyway, no, my, I, my favorite clip of him is him with a Juicy Smollett. Uh, what Jesse says, uh, well, I mean, so, well, he asks him, so what do people say about you that isn't true? Well, that I, you know, perpetrated a fake hate crime. He was like, oh, yeah, yeah, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, obviously. Mark Lamont Hill's response. Can yeah. we drop the audio yeah. of that into the podcast yeah. just to uh, yeah. propagate it further? <laughs> Thank you, Jesse, Rickin, for coming on. Up next, O.J. Simpson will be in the building trying to find the real killer of his wife. Uh, it is just such a shame that you do. You, we were doing 12 hours a day of content uh, for like five or six years. And mm. then you get it gets bought by, you know, Giganto Corp. And, all, and it all gets pulled. So now that it's only thing bootlegged crazy. stuff, basically. Uh, hmm. And occasionally stuff that I release on my podcast to yep. our premium subscribers. Uh, I've noticed get that. Get uncomfortable conversations. Uh, yeah. And Susan Sarandon I'm sure that's interview? in wild breach of some, but like they're not doing anything with <laughs> yeah. this shit. So I always think about that. Like, let me post a clip from this Soviet movie. 
Am I violent? No, they don't come. Yeah. It doesn't exist anymore. Well, like, no uh, Soviet Union, no HuffPost. I mean, no it's one can get like it. Union, it's yeah. not, you know, I'm not like, so anyway, but I'll occasionally put things, and in fact, you can get the Norm MacDonald, you can hear the Norm MacDonald interview on, in my podcast feed as well, if you can't find it on YouTube. But I mean, I feel like I, I've Do got- you have a podcast, George? <laughs> <laughs> I've got some of them yeah, on yeah. video on hard yeah. drives. I feel like I should just upload them to YouTube. But then I, I feel like that probably I would, made a, would raise a the eye. When I saw- the first flames inside the Vice Building, like at the beginning of the Reichstag fire, as I was running outside, <laughs> I got as much uh, of my old stuff as I could. I mean, stuff that wasn't aired. I mean, just right. like old full interviews, because you know that stuff gets cut to a minute and a half, two minutes, and some of them are sixty minutes of me doing combat with somebody in a really fun way, and I, I got most of that. But I fear that all of it is gone, is going to be gone. The stuff that I don't have, the Huffington Post thing, which is crazy, is that. I did a million hits on Huffington Post and HuffPost Live. Um, I, I can't find any of them. They, no. they, they didn't have, I mean, why not just keep it up? I mean, it was all there, so just leave it. Yeah. What's the code? What do you have to pay for a Google Cloud storage account? You do. I mean, you do, masters. but like, come on, it's not. I mean, Ariana can, you know, plagiarize a book and, you know, get some money. To <laughs> she never did that. She just did not it twice. Once. She did it twice. Right? <laughs> it was two times with two books. Like, not who cares? Even once. Yeah, not even once. <laughs> she did two, the, the Maria Callas book and the Picasso one. And she did this with, like, ghostwriters the whole time, including Andrew Breitbart in ghostwriting. Oh, that's right. Original HuffPo, him and uh, Greg Gutfeld, original Huffington Post employees. Right? Rest in power, King. Yeah, rest in mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> But so what else? And let's, uh, final thing, because uh, I know you have to go um, to do something. I'm going to see a show. Oh my God. That's I was going to see the oh, show. Yeah, that's so good. <laughs> I'm going to Broadway. <laughs> yeah. The Golden Mile. Yeah. yeah. It's, uh, and by the way, if you guys who are not from New York, uh, when somebody says they're going to a show, it means they're going to a dungeon somewhere in Chelsea. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm going to a show show. I'm oh. Gonna, I'm going to a Broadway show. Before the dungeon. What are you okay. going to see? So. <laughs> uh, it's actually uh, Stephen Sondheim's last musical and it's the second night of previews and two of my friends are in it uh, dennis o'hare brilliant uh, uh actor and uh trey ellett and uh, also the husband of one of my old school friends bobby cannavale who's married oh. to rose oh, Byrne, yeah. who He's, i went to school with you went to school with rose Byrne. she's yeah. uh, australia i didn't know she was australian yeah she's an aussie she's from sydney from my i think her brother's an artist i think i'm running that's right yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, he had a show down here that I saw. I didn't know he was Australian. Mm. I would have oh. gone up and said some really nasty things to him. <laughs> no, I George would have grabbed him by the, the lapels and have looked him in the face, <laughs> and I would have said, the time has come to say fair is fair, <laughs> to pay the rent, to pay our share. Well, that <laughs> is, Yes. That is George. That would be George Byrne and uh, hello, George and uh, Rosie. Rose is up in uh, Montauk shooting something, so she won't be joining me. Okay. Well- where can we get your podcast? <laughs> 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 All right. Well, actually, for the people who are listening to this on Josh Zepp's feed, I know there's a few of you, a couple of people in Australia listening to this. Yeah. Wethefifth.substack.com is where you get everything. Yeah. And all the good stuff is behind the paywall. Um, there's some other stuff there for you. You know, it's a freebie once a week, freebie. If but... you go to the uh, website after you listen to this, which you should do, uh, you'll see probably something written, and that thing written will include all the links to all the other times we had Josh. 
Yeah. Oh, that'd be good. Seppo! So that's going to get me fired. I mean, those were times before I had my current job. Yes. Oh, yeah. That was when I would have been talking about the Jews with impunity. Yeah, exactly. Telling my real beliefs. Yes, yes. Holocaust? Schmolocaust. I was like, that doesn't even make sense. Is he denying it or is he just a wordplay? Um, because we can, yes, we'll we'll put up all the other I uh, think episodes. people are familiar with how podcasts work Yes, right now. they do. So they can figure out how to, if my listeners will go to your one and your listeners will come to my one and everyone will be a big happy family. And the commenters will no doubt, because they have pointed this out for years, that I did at one point make up a morning show because you said you had a morning show. <laughs> people still contact me about that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what was it called? <laughs> Wake up, you cunts! Yeah, <laughs> that was the yeah. not so, on public radio. I did. I, yes, yeah. I did host the weekend like morning show on uh, on the ABC in Australia for a year, and yes. I think I was on this show when I was doing. Yes, it, and yeah. you asked me what the name of the show yes. was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then when you didn't have an answer, I gave yeah, you that's right. the name. It's, yes, it's not yeah. it's not the Today Show. It's Wake Up, You Cunts. Yes, <laughs> what a blockbuster show that was. If I could get the archives of that, <laughs> yeah. More important than HuffPo Live. Great show. Great show. Very racist, though. That was the only thing I disagreed with. A lot of anti-Albanian sentiment, which is very odd. There was a lot of Al Jolson kind of routine. I couldn't believe it. You said, oh, well, I'm friends with Camille. I was like, that does not give you a free pass because he's not black. (laughs) All right. Uh, All right. right. I love you guys. Good to see you again. Good to see you. Yeah. All right. You too. Bye. 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 Bye.